So it comes down to this, round three, Ashton leads 158-150, to but victory is not yet quite in sight. Keir has a new champion in the form of Australian model named George Lazenby, the hipster choice for favourite Bond on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Austin looks to retain his lead with the original James Bond, Sean motherfucking Connery, but possibly committed a fatal error by choosing the film Dr. No. On paper, it would be advantage Austin, but victory isn't written on paper. It's Sean Connery versus Diet Sean Connery. Hey, welcome to I Dig This Movie. I'm Keir Sayward, an independent filmmaker and photographer, as well as a guy who sheds a tear for the fact that this is our last James Bond episode. Are you upset, yeah, Austin? Yeah, I'm a little bummed, man. I actually was thinking that there should be some other way that we can just play around and delve into the other Bond films a little bit. We should just create a, another dedicated Bond podcast where all we talk about is just Bond, week in, yeah. week out, Bond, yeah, Bond, Bond. last night you know, I was we... looking at some list of, you know, what is it, 26 films? Uh, yeah, is it 26? Yeah, Somewhere in there, something in like, the yeah. 20s, 26 to 28. You could also do, like, the non-canon films. You could do the, the joke Casino Royale from the 60s, the TV movie of Casino Royale that was made in the 50s where he's Jimmy Bond and he works for the CIA. There's, there's, there's no shortage of things you could do. We could read all the books. We could yeah. Just... yeah, we could just, but how would we do that? We'd uh, But then it would be great if you did various bonds versus other bonds so it'd be interesting obviously we've got dr no versus honor secret uh honor honor majesty secret service but it'd be interesting to see if you did uh dr no versus i don't know living daylights or you know you mixed up the matchups a little bit just to see how they would how they would fare so it was always it's like a celebrity remember that what was it celebrity celebrity yeah, death bond yeah. death match just, just, just never ending. Bond yeah. all the time. Bond Monday. Bond Tuesday. Yeah. Bond Wednesday. It's an all Bond year, all Bond month, all Bond world, all Bond. You know, life, life, existence, <laughs> the universe, everything. Everything's James yeah. Bond. By the way, this is Austin. He hasn't introduced hey, himself. I'm yet. Austin. I'm a philosopher, writer, producer, etc., etc., etc. Bond fan. Yes. So it's the final two films, and for anyone who hasn't been listening, we each drafted three out of the six James Bonds and put them head-to-head at random. Each round, we took turns discussing the films, and each rate the other person's Bond film out of ten Bond categories. Week one, I came away with a decisive victory as Pierce Brosnan and Goldeneye beat Roger Moore in For Your Eyes Only. Week two, I let my ego get the best of me and was completely slain by Timothy Dalton and License to Kill over Daniel Craig in Quantum of Solace. But all is not lost. I'm only eight points down. So, Austin, um, do you remember what the punishment is? Yeah, it has something to do with uh, torturing ourselves with Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, it's uh, three Adam Sandler movies from post-2010. There's three of those, plus they also have to post a video on the internet of them singing the praises of the other Sounds person. good to me, brother. Yes. To the victor go the That's spoils. right. Um, I, I feel like actually the victor gets nothing <laughs> except except feeling smugly superior over the punishment. That's fine with me. I mean, I'm always down with a gentleman's bet where you just kind of like say, ha, I've got the pride of victory. But it's just a little sweeter <laughs> that you get to know that you actually get yeah. some sort of material reward. An avalanche of action. Bigger. Better. Different. 
of sweeping splendor, different. It must be so if he's in the picture. Fabulous beauties, all of them dolls, every one different. They've got to be when he's around. My name's Bond, James Bond. The new Bond. Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. The different 007. George Lazenby. The different bond from the same stable. So here's the plot of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. A guy who we're told by the film is James Bond, though I'm not totally convinced, uh, starts off stalking a woman who luckily just so happens to try and commit suicide by casually walking into the ocean. Uh, and he so he saves her and then he gets beat up by some guys for some reason. Uh, later, she turns up a casino again for some reason. Her name is Tracy and she's a Contessa. And I think James Bond bangs yep. her afterwards. Yeah. But James, Austin sent me a message last night where he's like, man, James Bond's a flat out hoe in this yeah. film. <laughs> like even by James even by Bond, James standards, Bond standards, he gets standard. down a lot. Dude, Lazenby is a, a hoe. <laughs> Okay, so then Bond gets kidnapped by Tracy's father, the head of the of a crime syndicate who tries to convince Bond to marry Tracy and tells Bond if he does, he'll tell him the location of Blofeld. Bond goes back to London, Evan gives him some shit, Bond threatens to leave, but unlike modern Bond movies where Bond would just run off and go rogue, M, they have like a little kind of playful back and forth, then M's like, Okay, you can go on leave, and so then Bond just goes. Because well, Bond gives him a letter uh, of resignation, so, right? But then, yeah. But then M is like, "Well, I'll give you two weeks." Yeah, and then he does that weird thing. Like, it's also like really weird going into like Bond's office because, like, it's like it feels strange that Bond has an office. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then so he goes in. And he does a little thing where he like opens up the drawers and he looks at like, "Hey, this is the thing from Doctor No. This is the mm. thing from Goldfinger." And again, it's because like they were really self conscious that people would not realize that this was st- supposed to be the same Bond. Right. So they put in all of these things where it's like, "No, no, he's definitely Bond." All those things that happened to Sean Connery happened right. to him. Well, you get that in the opening, uh, yeah. the opening credits too, right? With all of yeah. the flashes of all of the pre yeah. the, the preceding Bond films. That's what the opening credits are yeah. is they are just like clips of the old movies so it's like all of this shit trying really hard all of this shit just yeah. and then there's i know and then there's I know, that classic i know he looks like i know he doesn't i know he's not sean connery but he is the same fucking right. bond audience fucking get that through your head well right and now. then of course there's that not so subtle line after he rescues uh diana riggs where he says the other guy didn't do this or something like that. I don't know. He says uh, this never happened this to never the ha- other guy, which again is weird because that suggests that he's not the same Bond. <laughs> I know. I so know. it's like why? It's like it's it's anyway. So I've I've only gotten through like the first qu- third of this yes, plot, keep going. of this movie's plot. So then Bond hangs out with Tracy in a montage, falls in love. Louis Armstrong sings a song, and her dad tells him where Blofeld is. 
Uh, so Bond goes to the Swiss Alps where he finds Blofeld running an allergy treatment center. <laughs> Blofeld, despite having met James Bond in the previous film, also doesn't seem to realize this is James Bond, which again does not help your case of trying to convince people this is the same James Bond. Okay, and then James Bond then proceeds to bang every woman in the treatment center. I think it's the kilt because ladies love a kilt. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was the scene. That was when I texted you. So he sleeps with two chicks the first night. And then the next night he's out and they're they're doing like curling or shuffleboard or some shit like that. And uh, and like he says to one girl, like the little Asian one, he's like, my room at eight. And then the other girl comes up to him and she's like, I must see you tonight. He's like, how about nine? And then he says something like to another one. He's like, ten? <laughs> It's like, oh my god, he's literally got, he had he had back-to-backs the night before, and then now he's got three in a row here? It's like, Jesus, Lazenby. And anyway, turns out these women are being brainwashed to spread biological viruses into, uh, you know, around their own country. A plot which for even, a plot which even for a Bond film makes no fucking yeah, sense. And, and then there's like, there's like two separate skiing with machine gun scenes. Uh, an avalanche happens. There's a chase on a bobsled. Like they really they they work to get the most out of that Swiss Alps location. Yes. And then Bond coincidentally meets Tracy again. There's a car chase. They get married, and then Blofeld kills Tracy after the wedding, leading to that heartbreaking scene where George, George Lazenby looks up at that guy on a bike and tries his hardest. To he does act. try his it's, hardest. It's, it's, um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it, it's, it's interesting because for your, on your Majesty's secret service is it's an odd film because it's also, it's the only film that Peter Hunt directed. He was the editor, I think for all of the previous bond films. And then they promoted him for this one. Um, and it feels different. It feels different from the Connery ones. It's not just Lazenby. Mm-hmm. It has a different vibe to it. It's a lot, it's a lot slower. It's more. I don't want to say contemplative, but it's more kind of got a mood to it. Like the fact that it takes time, like there's a, there's a leanness to how a lot of the Bond films work. They're very plot driven and they're very straightforward. This one tries to be more emotional based Mm. and it's, it feels, I remember as a kid watching this film and finding it really weird. One thing that I don't think helps is that I don't think Lazenby is that strong. Like I, I, he is just the weakest Bond in all honesty. And I, I don't think he's got, and I think it hurts that he's coming right after Connery. Right. Who is like, Connery is just magnetic. Yeah, we'll yeah. I was going to say, I watched no. this before I watched Dr. No. And that opening mm. scene when he, when Connery is playing cards with, what is her name? Yeah. Sylvia Trench or whatever her name is. The girl that he... Yeah, Sylvia yeah. Trench. I mean, the charm and the ease and the comfort and the style. I was like, okay, Lazenby doesn't have that. No, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, it's... It's like what what I would say is it's almost like uh, I you you heard the old adage of their face can hold a close right. up you know it's like that you know um, and I I remember when I went to see Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy there's a a bit in it where Tom Hardy is sitting across from uh, the woman I can't remember what she's supposed to be she's like a Russian defector or something like mm-hmm. that. And they're kind of like falling in love with each other. And there's a bit where it just cuts to this close up of of um, of Tom Hardy and he just looks up at her and it's like you could hear the girl I was with just go. 
Just okay. like it was just like this moment of kind of like it was, it, you know, and th- it's that mm. it's like that thing where it's just like, a you know, somebody can just hold a close up. And that's Connery. Connery yes. can Connery just looks amazing and just has just this immediate just charisma that just radiates from the screen. And Lazenby just doesn't have that. Right. And, you know, it's not that I mean, I was making fun of him. He's he's not a great actor, but I mean, I'm not even totally sure how great an actor Connery was, but he doesn't have that charisma. Mm. And that's. That's the thing that hurts this movie a lot because he just feels like another actor in the film. He yeah. doesn't feel like the absolute kind of center thing point. And I, you know, Honor Majesty's Secret Service I think is helped a lot by the fact that it's a more emotionally driven Bond, but can you imagine how much better this film would have been if Connery had been in it? Right. Especially a Connery who had been through five films mm-hmm. already. Like there would have been weight to that. And I think Lazenby is the thing that weakens this mm. film. It was interesting. I, um, by the way, uh, Lazenby, my choice for the, the person I'm supposed to be. You know, right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the thing that – one of the biggest things that I took away after watching this film was it made me want to see what they could have done moving forward because I think it was a really good first effort, right? Like obviously it's got weaknesses. Yeah. But it made me think, okay, so that was Lazenby's first outing. Let's see what he would do in number two or three or four or five. And that would have been more interesting. It was a really good setup for this kind of reboot of Bond. And even though it wasn't perfect and even though I think he was obviously kind of uh, fumbling his way through finding his footing in the character, I think it would have been really interesting to see if he would have gotten a couple other chances to do it. And I think he would have. I think he would have expanded on it. And I think he actually would have turned into a really good Bond because he may not have been great in his first outing, but at the same time, there were a lot of things that I think really did work that they could have expanded on. Because he is a really good-looking guy. He is pretty charming. He um, he's got like super broad shoulders, and physically, he's more physically interesting than like Roger Moore is. You know, he can, or I even would say Pierce Brosnan. He's got these really broad shoulders and this body that you're like, okay. He could fuck some shit up if he needed to. But that's why I'm saying he's he's Diet Sean Connery. Yeah. Because he's still very much going off of what Sean Connery was. Like he didn't he didn't make Bond his own. I mean that's I mean and I suppose mm. like that's your big criticism of Pierce Brosnan in a big way is that Pierce Brosnan never really made Bond his own. And he kind of was a hybrid of two other Bonds. Um, but I kind of feel like Lazenby is very, I mean, and I think for better or worse, Dalton had his own version of Bond, but Lazenby to me is just trying to fill the shoes of Connery and not doing a great job at it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And maybe again, that's why when I went and watched Dr. No, that sensation in that opening segment was so profound. It was so overwhelming because I was like, oh shit, like that's what Bond is supposed to be. Okay, I, I get it. Well, you know they made you know they made an entire documentary just about the Lazenby Bond experience and like because Lazenby is like fascinating in the sense that he was this know nothing Australian model had really done nothing managed to basically talk his way into being Bond mm. and then almost as soon as he got it decided he didn't like it and wanted to be like part of the counterculture and was like hanging out with all of these hippies and like. Uh, you know, anarchists and sort of more fringe people. And so he showed up at the Bond premiere with a beard and long Mm. hair, fucked the producers off and said basically he didn't want to make any more Bond films. And that's when they ended up hiring Sean Connery back. Like, if he had wanted 
to do if he had he could have done diamonds are forever mm. it's not like he got fired and they said no you can't he basically fucked everything oh, up shit i mean it's like he, he basically started believing his own hype long before he ever did anything to you know basically you know earn that earn that that mm. hype so i mean it was it's it's fascinating and he you know you can when you watch the Eon documentary, you can see like how much like regret he has and how like how he knows he fucked up. And, you know, but it's it's he was a, I mean, he was a pretty young guy. I think he was only like 29 or something like when he right. when he first uh, when he when he got the role. So, I mean, I think it's one of those things where I I think he's just he was just I think. I think basically the balls that got him James Bond were the exact, you know, by basically, you know, he went to like Sean Connery's tailor, Sean Connery's like um, barber and just basically got his hair cut exactly like Sean Connery. Just, you know, talked his way into the room. And then when they were doing like uh, tests with stuntmen, he like he actually like punched a wrestler in the face. Like he like there was a lot of kind of like chutzpah and balls that got him that Mm. role. But he was a fucking idiot once he got it basically yeah i didn't know that i think he had and i I mean i think the problem is too like i think basically every actor who came after sean connery had a chip on their shoulder to certain i mean more admitted years later to when he first got the role like standing in a mirror and trying to do like sean connery's accent and trying to figure out like Hmm. you know and i think that's why more loves uh the spy who loved me so much because that's where more feels like he got his bond to work. That was like where he became mm. bond. Cause even in like, um, live and let die and man with the golden gun, he's still trying to have some elements of the Connery bond. And then once it's for the spy who loved me, that's where it truly becomes the more bond. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Do you think that Lazenby would have been able to settle into it a little bit? Had he had more opportunities? Like, do you see any bright spots I, in his bond, even though you're kind of slagging him a little bit? I, I, there's nothing that makes me enthusiastic about Lazenby as a Bond. I mean, I think the film is better than the Bond performance. Okay. Um, and I don't... Here's the thing. I don't hate him. I don't think it's, like, awful. But there's nothing that excites me about it. You know, there's... And, I mean, I, I feel like even, like... I'm a I'm a Brosnan defender. I quite like Brosnan as Bond. Um, I understand his limitations. But there's things that I like about the Brosnan Bond. I think, you know... I mean, for instance, like, Brosnan wears a suit, like fucking nobody right. else like he Bra- brosnan could fucking wear yeah. a suit and you know and you know and brosnan can carry off those quips with like a wink and a smile in a really sort of good way you know and i i you know hurt acting aside i think he's like fairly agile you know and so there's a lot that i like about brosnan what i can say about i suppose what i would say is okay lazenby has a fairly rough and ready quality to him that works in the sense that when you you can tell in that opening scene where he's like fighting the two guys on the beach they're trying to really showcase this this is a really tough bond he's really kind of rough and ready and he's gonna like fuck some dudes up but you know i i I don't buy him as like i don't buy him in the gentleman fuckboy kind of capacity of things like you Mm. know when he's trying to carry off the cheesy lines and this this has like i think one of the worst Bond one-liners ever, which was the one where the guy like falls into like the snow, uh, the 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 snow thing, and then he gets like churned yeah. up and starts blowing blood out the back of it, and he goes like, "He was full of guts." I'm like, "Ah, oh, yeah. fuck's sake, man, that was yeah, awful." I will say this: there are a shitload of one-liners, and so I I actually gave it props for effort, but they are bad, man. <laughs> yeah. 
But let's 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 keep okay, this yeah, a little okay, bit organized. Yeah, real quick, let me let me before you do that, let me ask you this though. So you say he's not one of your favorite bonds. Uh the plot makes not much sense. So why is this why does this bond film still work for you? If the plot doesn't make much sense and he's not one of your favorite bonds, but he's your least favorite bond, then for you, why does this film still work? <laughs> Well, technically, technically, I had to pick this film because I had George Lazenby. I only had one film. Yeah. Um, no, actually, do you know what's weird? I think, strangely, do you ever that thing where you you like a film that's been really derided a lot and you watch it and then you go, oh, this film's actually really quite yeah. good. And then you get in your head that it's really, really good. Mm. And then you watch it again. You're like, wait, I've actually now overhyped this film in yeah. my head. It's not as good as I remember it now. And I think that's kind of what I had with Honor Majesty's Secret Service okay. is I think this isn't one I've watched a ton. Like I watched uh, I watched it when I was a kid. It was a really weird one to watch as a kid. Then I watched it again about four or five years ago. Well, no, it must have been sooner. I, I did all the Bonds about three years ago. So I watched, I would have watched it then. And I think, um, yeah, at that point I was like, Oh, this is actually really good. Um, and then I think it didn't help that I was tired when I was watching it last night because I watched about half of it last night and watched about half of it this morning. And it just it, – it was a lot slower than I remembered it being. The first um, third the plot the made, first third drags like a motherfucker. Yeah. And it's also like – it's like – it's goofy but not in like the fun Roger Moore way. It's like goofy in an awkward way to mm. me. And it's like – and it's it's got like elements I like like okay I re- I like Telly Savalas yeah, as as I will say he's still not Donald Pleasance though I like Donald Pleasance mm. as I think I think he is my Blofeld my Blofeld is Donald okay. Pleasance, um but I, I the reason that they cast Telly Savalas was because they wanted a more agile and that's active. what I liked about him um, is that he actually yeah. was a bad guy that could physically seem to compete yeah. with Bond. Which was kind of like, yeah. it's like he's and the bane what, of bad guys, you know, where physically yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I could see him fucking up Batman, or I could see this guy fucking up Bond. And it's just, it's, but I think that plot is just so goofy and nonsensical. Like, this this idea that he's brainwashing women to go spread a biological virus. I'm like, why do you need to brainwash people well, to do that? In, like, in 1968 or 69, I bet that was really cool. But post Zoolander, all I could think about was fucking Zoolander. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was also like it's like the most overly complicated plot to do the most simple thing possible. You've got a virus that just go like send it to somebody or like just why do you need these specific people to go do that? Like it's like and why do you why do you need two people who aren't like. Just pay someone to go do it. Like, why? Why? I, I'm just like at this point. I'm like, I don't understand why you need to create this incredibly expensive <laughs> operation just to brainwash these people to go do this. It's like it. It just made so little sense to me, even by the levels of a Bond yep. film. The thing, the ace in the hole for this film, and I think the reason that people have such good feelings towards it is. Diana Rigg. I think Diana Rigg makes this movie. And it's mm. interesting because apparently Bridget Bardot was their original choice and they tried to get Bridget Bardot's but she had a she had a schedule conflict. But I just I find it hard to ever think how Bridget Bardot would have been would have been would have worked in this role. I mean, Diana Rigg is just so perfect because she's kind of 
ballsy and she's got like sass and she's kind of and she's cool and she's like again she's like she's like a lady who can match bond wit for Mm. wit and you kind of feel like you know you kind of feel like she's gonna be i mean and let me put it this way okay if it was connery maybe not but lazenby you're like she's gonna be wearing the pants in that relationship right right but but i mean i and i just think yeah i think she's like perfect casting she's kind of what i want in a bond girl hmm. and i think she's yeah and I, and and i think that means that that last scene which i think is the scene one of again one the reasons why people like on her majesty's secret service because it's not just another bond went somewhere he fucked some women he blew some stuff up and now success right. you know it's like it's it's got this 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 tragedy to it this this weight to it that means that people kind of go like Okay, this wasn't just a Bond film. This was something a bit more. And it's, I, I think there's an element to it, which I would say is a little bit like my problems with Skyfall, is that it has the emotional weight to anchor it at the end, but it has a lot of dumb shit to get mm. to that that emotional weight. And it's it's a weird, weird setup. Very okay, weird so, setup. So Bond, Bond is now, Bond is marrying into a family. Prime family. Of... A crime family, a European crime syndicate family. He works for the British fucking government. And not only that, like, but the what? British government, M is there at the wedding, and so is Moneypenny. Yeah. And he's like joking around with the Draco guy, the head of the company or the head of the syndicate. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, I, and I guess like the idea is like that this guy's also doesn't like Blofeld because Blofeld's like, you know, killed some of his men right. and whatnot. But I'm kind of like, you know, it, it's it's like, you know. It's it's like basically it's like bomb pick sides in a mob war. It's like it, it even if Blofeld is gone, you still have like a crime syndicate guy right. in charge. That it's is now like your father-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I'm like this is all kinds of You know of weird. the enemy of I my think, enemy is my friend, I guess. Okay. And I find this setup so weird. Okay. So Bond is just driving around for some reason and happens to be following this woman for a reason that is never truly explained. Right. And then he just happens to be there when she decides she's going to commit suicide by casually walking into the ocean, which is like, just, it's weird. Cause it doesn't even like, I, if I saw that, I wouldn't necessarily assume that person was committing suicide. Right. Um, well, and not only that, when he goes and he grabs her, it's like she faints in his arms and she's lifeless yeah. as he's pulling her out of the water. And then he actually like, how many times do, does a woman get smacked in this movie? It's pretty funny. He smacks her face when she's on the beach. Her dad slaps the shit out of her to get her into the helicopter at the end to get yeah. her. I mean, um, Bond slaps a woman or two a couple of times. So that was uh, that was definitely interesting. But the thing I – the opening segment was – yeah, the setup is weird. The film, it almost like it, it, it has a checkbox of things it wants to complete and then it yeah. kind of fits it into some sort of linear story. And – it doesn't yeah. always fit sequentially. It doesn't always fit tonally, but at least they hit the points. If that makes sense. It's like the, the, the simple reality is it's just not a very traditional Bond Mm-mm. film. And, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I've praised other films for being non-traditional. Um, and I think, I think with a better Bond, this would have sold a lot better to me. But I, I was actually, I was kind of disappointed if I'm being honest. Mm. I was... Hoping to be more, I thought I was going to be a lot more positive about it today. And I was, I think a lot of its flaws felt, um, a lot of its flaws felt really, really 
obvious to me on this go around. Um, and I think, you know, so, okay. So I think Diana Riggs, great. Um, I think Telly Savalas is good, even though he's not my favorite Blofeld. Um, I think there's like the location in the Swiss Alps is really yeah. cool. In fact, it's also, it's really weird because it really commits to that location. And that's not actually a very Bond thing either. Like Bond globe trots a lot more generally. Mm. Like he really just kind of goes to Switzerland and just stays there, right. you know? And it, it also like, I also had this very strange thing too, where it's like, so, okay. So after Blofeld blows up the mountain and the avalanche comes down and he kidnaps Tracy, Bond just goes back to Britain. He just he just goes back to Britain and then he stands at the window, which also again, like there's these weird little stylistic things in this that are very unbond. It's almost like kind of like Peter Hunt's been kind of really getting into like the new wave or something like that because <laughs> it's just got these weird little like strange tricks and like so, so there's like this thing where like Tracy being kidnapped is like projected yeah, on yeah, the window yeah. is like Bond's looking out the window. Um, but yeah, and then he just goes back and he's like, "Oh, well, the British government, we have to go get her and M's like no Bond fuck you and so then Bond calls up the crime syndicate and they go I'm like dude you're in Switzerland why do you have to go all the way back to like fucking like Britain just to then go back to Switzerland it's like he's like oh well we don't know where Blofeld is oh turns out he was at the same fucking place he's been the whole fucking movie (laughs) yeah I'm just it was just it's there are so many just plot elements in this i find really really baffling and again i know it's a bond film but i suppose in a weird way this is a bond film that wants me to feel some more weight to this mm. i'm not just watching a cartoon like i am when i'm watching a roger moore bond film right so it's like i think that weight makes me want the film to be more clean and well put together and then it's not and so then it's disappointing yeah. for you Yeah. Well, I also I think actually the interesting thing, too, is I feel like this film is kind of the much more prototypical Austin Powers parody. Dude, like I feel like this is this is where you can really feel the 60s coming. Yes, I was thinking that, too. I was actually as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is where a lot of those Austin Powers riffs came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like almost the fembots kind of are like the the women that are brainwashed in Switzerland and interestingly enough, even though Donald Pleasance clearly does have that Dr. Evil, you know, like the scar and everything like yeah. that. Also, for some reason, um, Telly Savalas kind of looks like Dr. Evil a little bit as well. I mean, of course, they kind of, you know, the yeah. bald head and the weird nose and everything. You like saying that. all bald men look the same, Austin? Hey, man, I'm, I'm bald right now. Look at this. I... That's racist. <laughs> That's baldest. Um, but no, I think um, it's it's one of those things where it's like I didn't like dislike it. Um, actually, you know, I generally like, you know, we've said this before. I, I like all Bond right. films. It doesn't like, there's not a Bond film that I'm ever going to be upset about watching. Even the bad Bond films I want to watch. Right. So it's like, I'm, and this isn't a bad Bond film. But I think like in my head, I was thinking this was like one of my like top 10 Bond films. And I kind of finished thinking, I don't know if this actually is one of my top 10 Bond films. Interesting. Yeah. So I, wa- I I read through a lot of articles last night that were ranking Bond films after I watched yeah. the movie. And I actually came across two lists that had this as number one as the best Bond Oh, there's Bond a lot film. of people who love Honor Magic. And then Secret every Service. other list that I read, it was in the top 10. You know what? It's also like, it's a little bit like 
Blade Runner syndrome as well, where people really like the fact that they're like, hey, the critics didn't get it and people didn't get it at the time. But you know what? We fucking know it's mm. good. Like we would have known it was good. You know, it's, it's that thing. People like feeling like they know better than, you know, what its reputation is. And, you know, and, and in fact, I think it's actually become this is what it is. Like, I'm I'm now too cool to go along with the whole. Oh, did you know Honor Majesty's Secret Service is actually one of the best? Oh, Bond so you're films. post cool. Like, so that I'm post. I'm post it. Post man. that. So they were there. That's like hipster. Yeah. Cool. You're like post hipster. Cool. I post hipster. <laughs> cool. man. Yeah. But I think the set pieces were great. I think I really have always been fascinated with the bad guy base, right? The base of the yeah. villain. So that's why I like – It's a good hideout. It's a very good hideout. So for me, that's why I always like um, – it's the spy who loved me that's underwater, right? And yeah. that one to me yeah, was always my favorite because I always thought that would be so cool to have this underwater city that you've built and that you live in. And of course, I love the car that turns into the submarine that gets him to the base see, and, and stuff like that. So, see, I kind of always like for me, it's it's kind of the volcano lair in You Only Live yeah, Twice. I think like the that's awesome. I, I think the, the volcano lair hits that perfect note of just complete lack of logic. <laughs> like like what 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 was the fucking money that it cost to make this? What's the practicality of it? Why does this exist? And how do people not know that it exists there? It's like you have how many people working there? What are the contractors that you had to like get to build you this secret volcano yeah. place? It's and like, what did they wear while they were constructing it inside a volcano? Is that- so yeah, this is this is my um, this also hits on what I think is, uh, and that's actually what I quite like about the base on on Her Majesty's Secret Service is that's an actual place. Yes. Like they haven't just like it looks like a Bond fucking secret base, but it is also a real base. Yeah. and it kind of yeah. And I think as a kid too, I always love things like I always found like ski gondolas like fascinating Same. and stuff like that. And you'd always as a kid you'd always think like. Oh, what would it be like if you were like on the roof of the ski gondola yeah. and stuff and that like that? That shit comes from watching Bond films, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, and so there's that, there's that little kid part of me that's like, oh, then he gets on the fucking ski gondola. He's on the, the fucking wire and then he has to travel up like on top of the gondola. Right. And, you know, and so, and I think that's, that's what I feel like I'm always looking for when I watch a Bond film is to be taken back to being like that little, like, seven-year-old boy who just like watches Bond and goes like, oh my God, that's fucking amazing. Right. Exactly. And and this film hits a lot of that stuff because that lair yeah. is so cool, because the Swiss Alps location is great, because they do the bobsled chase, they do the ski chase, they've got some great car sequences. I mean, they last yeah. a little long, like especially when Diana Rigg rescues him in the Alps and then they're on that track being ch- – and it's like a derby track and they're being chased. And I think he says multiple times like – how do you, or she says it maybe like, how do you get out of here? How do you get out of here? She says it like three different seg- segments, and I think it's probably just the same audio and it's the same video clip, and I think they just like repeated it. But whatever. <laughs> it's still really cool what they tried to do. So the set pieces are really interesting. The locations were cool. My biggest problem with the film is that about the first third of it was boring as fuck. Like, yeah, I was like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't get off to a quick no, start. It was so it, like there were, the, the very opening action segment made me laugh because they obviously ran it forward in like double time. And so I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. And his move was the I'm just going to hip toss everybody. Like he just thro- throws yeah. everybody over his shoulder like perpetually. He just like well, throws it, was, it was kind of a thing, though. Well, you the thing you have to remember about Bond, too, is Bond is coming at a kind of time before like martial arts films have kind of become big or popular right. in the West. 
So, like, Bond doing, like, these sort of judo moves right. and stuff like that, that was, like, really, like, cool exactly. and cutting edge at and the you time. feel that. Like, people didn't know who fucking Bruce Lee was. Right. They didn't, like, they, you know, it's like, so, I mean, there is an element to this where we've kind of aged out of some of that fighting right. stuff. Like, if Bond did a judo move now, it would look lame as fuck. But, like, <laughs> in, like, a guy with a gun in, like, the 60s, a judo, a judo move was badass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you could tell... That they were really excited, whoever the action coordinator was, that was like, hey, this is it, man. We're going to have him just throw like, people. But, you know, but it's like, you know how, like, because, like, Connery always used to do the uh, the judo chop thing. Where it's like Austin Powers used to make fun of where he would go, judo chop. And just, right. like, just like you know, with, like, an open palm, just kind of slap somebody in the neck and they'd, like, fall right. down. And, like, Connery used to do that. And that's, again, it's like this kind of idea of, like, ooh, the mystical Chinese arts where, like, you could just hit a guy with your hand and he'll collapse. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I, I think that, you know, with some of the fighting, there is that kind of, but, I mean... I, again, I will say that kind of like high frame rate kind of sped up, um, you know, sort of fight scenes were, again, something that in the, you know, in the 60s looked really cutting edge and crazy. Yes. Like, you know, he's like, I mean, there's there's a little bit of what he's doing there that's kind of the precursor to what we have with like the Bourne style of fighting. Mm. So where it's like it's a lot of kind of quick camera movements, a lot of quick, quick cuts. Yeah, a lot of and cuts. Supposed, yeah, yeah, a lot of whereas like things. Connery doesn't do that. Like Connery, it's more staged out in a kind of uh, in, in, in a in a kind of a way. There's not a ton of cutting around. It's a it's a different kind of fighting. And again, it's one of the reasons this film feels kind of different from the Connery Bonds. Now, what is the last Connery film before this? Uh, you Only Live it Twice. It makes me want to watch that and see how different, because that was made, what, one year or two years prior? I think it would have been, because Honor Majesty's Secret Service is either 69 or 70, and I think You Only Live Twice is 68, so I think it's a so couple it's pretty of years quick between turn around. So I, the first, like, the first con, all the first Conneries came out really close together. Yeah. Like, they all came out pretty much within a year of each other. Like, they just kept Because Dr. No is 63, right? And now yeah. you can tell, and they always had, when like, you watch Dr. No the, after Honor, Majesty, yeah. uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, it almost looks kitschy. You're like, okay, the sets are you smaller. You are like the 60s just happened. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what you did. <laughs> right, right. Basically, so you go to this one, and then afterwards you have Connery coming back for Diamonds Are Forever. And basically Connery came back, and he said... Uh, donate all of my money to, I think it was some boys organization in Scotland. It was a charity organization. So he came back for that and he, he clearly doesn't give a fuck. Like he hasn't worked out for it. He looks out of shape. He looks old. It's like depressing to watch how bad Mm. it is. But the problem is it's also still in continuity with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So he comes back in Diamonds Are Forever and he's like angry about the murder of Tracy and he's trying to hunt down Blofeld. But you've got sad sack old Sean Connery instead of this young George Lazenby guy that you had in the last right. film. And it just feels so weird. And I, I dislike Diamonds Are Forever. It's yeah. like it's actually my least favorite Connery. Um, but yeah, it's a weird point. And you can see how basically they were clearly trying to reinvent the franchise a bit with with uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Because of the Lazenby problem, it didn't happen. And then the series was kind of up in the air for a couple of years. Because even, like, they didn't really settle in with more. Like, it took a couple of movies before they really settled in with mm. more. So it's a, it's a weird one. Like, they, you know, it's a, it, it, they're, this kind of begins a very strange period for the Bond films. Yeah. All right, so do you want to switch gears and start talking about Dr. No? 
I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I just want to take like one more moment to just kind of like underline the Diana Rigg thing. Okay. Like she is oh, like yeah. she's okay. she's yeah, yeah yeah like um and I think that's it. Like it's it's a it's a really unbelievable plot and setup. But she's kind of so charming and so charismatic in it that she makes it work. See, here's the thing. I did not like her at first. At first on screen, I was like – part of it was because I was just so annoyed with how she just went limp when he rescued her in the opening sequence from the ocean. I was like, oh, come on. That's fucking ridiculous. And then when they're at the poker table, she kind of just seemed really bland. And then when uh, they go to that bullfighting – that bullfighting scene and she's yeah. talking with her uh, her dad's – what is that? Like assistant or whatever the, the brown-haired girl's role is and they start talking. At that point, she starts to kind of come into her own as an interesting character to me. And then, of course, at the end, towards the end, she's great. She's absolutely fantastic from when she comes to the Swiss Alps. But at the very beginning, I kind of was like, ah, it took me a minute to kind of get warmed up to her. Well, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I think, again, I just have a lot of affection for Diana Rigg. I mean, like, you know, you watch Game of Thrones. She's uh, Olena Tyrell. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, she's like 78 and she's still a badass. Like mm. she, um, you know, she just like, you know, just completely like verbally puts down anyone who like comes in contact with her. Yeah. So, I mean, like, no, I, I think like, and she just, she has it. She has, she's got a presence. And I think, um, you know, she was well known for being on a TV show called uh, The Avengers, um, and yeah, she was kind of like an icon for like these black leather cat suits that she'd wear. And she was just like, she's a, uh, I mean, I, you know, she's just definitely yeah. someone with a lot of presence. And again, like, that's what I, and this, this will be something we'll get into in Dr. No. What I like in a Bond girl is I like someone who is a bit badass and will give Bond some shit. Right. And that's what she does. Which is what you said. And about- I think actually, and I think actually one of the big problems is that George Lazenby doesn't look like he's a match for mm. her. Yeah, which is something that you said about the uh, Bond girl in uh, License to Kill is that you liked her when she was a little bit more – when she was able to match him, when she actually had her own toughness. Whereas when she kind of became a bit of a pushover, then it was kind of – you know, she lost some points in your mind. Yeah, yeah. But I think think Diana Rigg – I think – I think the problem is, again, this film is, to me, is, again, eclipsed by the fact that Casino Royale exists. But, I mean, this film is kind of a prototypical Casino Royale Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. She's kind of a prototypical, she's kind of the prototype for Vesper Lynn. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, it's the, she, this is kind of the beginnings of that kind of Bond film. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, while I, I have some real issues with the film, I can't say that you know, there's not a lot of things to like in it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I can see that. Cool. Um, yeah, no, I warmed up to her at the end. And I think by the time she, uh, by the time, I guess, she rescues him in the Alps, and then from then on, she comes into her own, and she has a charm and a strength to her that I think makes her an interesting character. And when I was reading some of the, the, the rankings, the things that everybody says that they love about this film 
are one, the ski sequence that is just kind of iconic, then two, Diana Rigg. They do absolutely love her. So those seem to be, and then of course a lot of people love Telly Savalas. I really like Telly Savalas. I know you like Donald Pleasance, but I really, really do like Telly Savalas just in general. I like Telly Savalas in, in general. general yeah. Like it's not like, and it's not, I got I got nothing against Telly Savalas in this. I quite like him in it. He's just not Donald Pleasance, and Donald Pleasance is my Blofeld. That's okay. that's just yeah, it. Yeah. If I'm gonna I'm gonna put a flag in the sand. I'm going to fucking fight. I'm going I'm to get on this hill and I'm going to fucking fight and stay on this hill. It's, it's fucking Donald Pleasance. That's my blowfight. My name is Bond. James Bond. My instructions were implicit. I was to leave for Jamaica in two hours. License to kill. Now you maybe miss it. You don't miss a thing. I decided to accept your invitation. I have to leave immediately. Just as things were getting interesting again. James Bond, 007. License to kill whom he pleases, where he pleases, when he pleases. From the elegant club rooms of Mayfair to exotic island night spots. Jump up, jump up. Good evening. Who pays you? You. Tell us. A strange adventure of intrigue, treachery, and love. Sean Connery is uh, up against the uh, one of the leaders within Spectre, a guy named Dr. No, who is this scientific genius who's been spurned by the East and spurned by the West, and he's this criminal mastermind, and he is running a sort of nuclear program to disrupt the American space program. And he's a he's a Canadian playing a half German, half Japanese person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, not as bad as when Mickey Rooney played uh, a Japanese person, but, you know, um, definitely an interesting thing. But no. So basically, he's a very intelligent and and butthurt uh, genius who becomes a criminal. And yeah, he's trying to disrupt the American space program. So uh, Bond goes on a mission to tear it down. And he does so, and he ends up going to Jamaica, and there's this legend of this crab monster thing, but it's just like a fucking tank that has a flamethrower on it that's kind of badass. And then Ursula Andress uh, is, like, I guess the quintessential introduction of what a Bond girl is supposed to be, even though Keir doesn't dig it, but she comes out on the beach in that bikini scene, and um, it's like one of the most iconic shots of the entire bond genre and uh to the point where it's even been it's been parodied several times in the bond world where like you had uh you had uh, Halle Berry doing it in the uh, in Die Another Day, which was the twentieth anniversary. And then film. Daniel Craig does then it in you Casino Royale. And Daniel Craig doing it in the little fucking shorts. <laughs> yeah, but basically, she uh, she and Bond, you know, they kind of 
they get they get thrust together and they get kidnapped by Dr. No and then Bond has to go into Dr. No's lair and he dresses up like a henchman and he overloads the nuclear reactor so that the reactor can't take down the uh, the space rocket that's supposed to launch in what Cape Canaveral or wherever it's supposed to be launching from and he ends up then destroying the base and Dr. No also has metal hands because he has no hands and so he can like crush shit with his hands which he does which is kind of cool but um, yeah, Dr. No, and it was the very first Bond film made in 1963, I believe it was. So, 62. 62 or 63. See, I always feel like the funny thing is, in many ways, people act like Goldfinger was the first Bond film, because that's like the first film where Bond becomes what we think of as the Bond film. Mm. Like, that's the one with the car, that's the one with the crazy henchman, that's the one with... You know, it's got Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore. It's mm. got, like, it's got so many elements of it. However, and this is something that I think is really in Dr. No's favor. One of the problems, because I was, I was, I vetoed Goldfinger, you know, for the specific reason that's got so many of the iconic Bond elements. Right. However, something that I've never liked about Goldfinger is that Bond pretty much spends the entire film captured and has very little does has very little involvement with the plot mm. in so many ways. Um, however, in Dr. No, Bond like actually plays fucking detective. Mm. Like he goes around like figuring some shit mm-hmm. out, finding some stuff out. Like, and I like this. And this is one of the things that as the series went on, became less and less is that Bond became far more of a just destructive force who ran in and just fucked things up. Whereas like, you know, like Connery's actually doing some stuff that you could almost qualify as spy work in yeah. in, in uh, Doctor No, which you know, and I, I and you know, there's there's something charming about the the small mm. the, the 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 smaller scale of everything. Like I like just the whole thing of like the woman who is sort of spying, who's like an inside person for uh dr no who then uh who who then tries to invite him up to have sex with her and then when he goes up like somebody tries to run him off the road and then he sort of shows up and she's like oh i didn't expect you and then they get into the little sort of like sort of out trying to like power move each other and stuff like that and of course sean connery bangs her you know but, um, you know, but anyway, by the way, I, this is something I didn't bring up with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I feel like I just want to go back to for a second. So, OK, so Bond's supposed to be in love with Diana Rick, right? He's supposed to like, I love this woman. I'm like, but now I got to go do my thing with Blofeld, but I'm, I'm, I'm down with right. her. But then goes and like fucks all those women on top of the Swiss yes. Alps. This, this marriage is doomed because Bond clearly is going to play around. Like <laughs> Bond is like, you know, he's, he's, he's going he's gonna to leave her. At home. It's going to be like Mad Men. Like Bond is going to be Don Draper out fucking getting all the ad, getting all that advertising cash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she's going to be Betty at home growing slowly resentful of him. Yes. Yeah, I, I did wonder that too. I love that sequence where they're in the barn and they're about to get down again. And then he proposes to her just after he had literally lined up like six different women in two days. And uh, and he basically then says well, this is something that we should wait for the wedding night for. And so he places her up on the level above. And then, of course, he is like, you know, that'll be the New Year's resolution. And then, of course, he just knocks down the, the, the whatever it is. It's like a level. He, like, knocks down the leg out from underneath it. So she rolls on top of him. And he's like, eh, it's not New Year yet. And he gets down with it. You're like, Bond, you can't resist yourself. You have a sexual appetite of, like, a fucking rhinoceros. But it's like, but it, it's like, are, are Ryan, I, 
are rhinoceroses particularly they seem Well, I mean, they do have a horn, but they do seem very m- masculine. Like, they would have, like, some serious testosterone juice in their balls. Like, I just feel uh, like the animal kingdom would be down to fuck, you know? And so well, he's got, like, rhino, well, I, rhino testosterone. Well, Austin, have you, have, have you never heard the old adage that it doesn't count? It's not cheating if it's at a different altitude. Oh, is that what it is? I thought it was if it was in a different area code. Oh, no. No, no, no. Different, different altitude. Different postal code. No, no. Different this zip is, code. Is, no, different city. Is, I'm, I'm from New Mexico, man. The altitude's going all over the place <laughs> in New Mexico. Yeah, well, whatever it is, you're absolutely right. That marriage is doomed. Anyway, so, so you know, and, and again, okay, so Connery goes, you know, hooks up with this, uh, with the evil specter the doctor no um inside woman and then gets her kind of like taken away at the end of it and stuff like that and that's kind of like that's you know there's that thing about connery connery's just got a mean streak in him like there's that like connery didn't need to do that connery didn't need to like basically bang this woman because she thinks she's she'll get away with it and everything and then and then and then get her just taken off like he could have just like called in the, the people and just had her take it off but no connor's got to bang her first he's got to like he's got to get that little sense of like superiority like over yeah that is the thing that, that bond often does though right is he always hooks up with one of the bad girls like yeah. for some reason the bad girls always they, they got to get a little piece of the british good guy the spy you know so I don't know. That's kind of one of those plot points that again it's, always always seems to pop up. Well, here's the thing. Okay, and let's let's just talk about Connery for a second because I think we can just rightly say like that scene at the beginning of Doctor No where you have the uh, where you have like the card where he's playing the cards and you don't see him. You just see over his shoulder and you're looking at like Sylvia Trench the whole mm-hmm. time and she's uh, betting and she kind of. And she just kind of goes like, uh, I can't remember what the line is, but she says something about how, you know, um, you like to, you know, sort of play, you know, fast and loose or something like that. And she goes like, uh, uh, you know, and she, he, she, he asks her her name. She goes, uh, Trench, Sylvia Trench. And then camera flips around. First time you see his face and he just, he's got the cigarette just kind of casually hanging out of his mouth. Just looks up, casually goes, Bond, James Bond. And you're just like, you're, you're just right there. You're like. This character is just fully formed. Yes. There's like no like – this is like – and you're talking about like George Lazenby maybe needed like a film or something. to fill, You're like he just is Bond. Yes. From the moment you meet him, he's Bond. 100%. It's just like it's perfect. Yeah. No, he fits right into it. And and even the sequence, you know, he gets up. He ends up beating her and, uh, you know, he gets a shitload of her money and he gets a, a message that he has to go and he has to leave. And so she follows him up from the table. And even that little sequence right there – the the charm and the wit that he exudes is something that Lazenby, um, that Moore, that Daniel Craig don't quite have. I would say that Brosnan has it, but that's because I think Pierce Brosnan is one of the most charming humans on the planet. Um, I don't think he's quite – he doesn't have obviously the same thing that Connery had, but there is something unique about what Connery brings to James Bond. I mean I think that – that Roger Moore is very debonair and suave. Connery has that as well, but he also has something else that that I uh, je ne sais quoi. I think it's a darkness. Yeah, maybe. I think that's what it is. I think there's there's a cruelty mm. to, to 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 Bond as Connery. There's like a meanness mm. in him that is kind of it's like the charm is overweighing this kind of strange sociopathy. Was it soci- sociopathic like thing mm. going on in you know with him? Like like 
Craig has that cruelty, has that darkness, yeah. but he doesn't have the right. charm. And con- and it's like the way that that charm is just this like thin layer over the sort of the dark, you know, just 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 assholery of Bond that exists there. Like there's an element of Bond that he just has to be a cruel evil motherfucker to get the job mm. done and, uh, and that is Connery but he can be but he's just so fucking charismatic at the same time you like that's the thing is like Connery is that guy who like you kind of feel like when like he um when he's like when he does some like mean shit to women or something like that you're like yeah but I'd fuck him like I <laughs> I, I get it like you know yeah and it's and um it's even like uh my uh you know and it's 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 you know you hear also like Especially any woman who was around at the time of, like, you know, when those films came out. And, you know, like, Connery was just, like, the sexiest man yeah, alive. Yeah, 100%. Like, and, and also, like, this is, like, peak Connery. This is, like, th- like Connery is never – I feel like Connery is never, like, leaner and in better shape than he is right now. Yeah, he looks now. fantastic like, he's like, in, in this He one. does. Yeah. And, like, he looks so fucking, like – he looks so fucking good and lean and awesome. That's why it's so depressing to watch, like – to watch um to watch Diamonds Are Forever where he just looks flabby and gray and just mm. really not not there. And this is also I'm pretty sure Connery still has all his hair at this point. Like I'm pretty sure like he starts wearing a toupee pretty early on in the Bond franchise, but I think he's still got all his hair at this mm. point. Well he's only thirty three uh, at this point. So or yeah. thirty two even. So he's he's pretty young, you know? He's, he's, he was still also like he was actually one of the younger younger Bonds when he started out as mm. well. Like Lazenby's the youngest, I think, at twenty nine. Um, I think Craig was late thirties when he took over. Both Dalton and Moore were in their forties. So I mean, it's mm. uh, I think Connery's still the second youngest Bond. Okay, yeah. Um, but he's I mean, and he's also like it, here's the thing: is it's it's like that thing. It's just it seems so effortless. Mm. To Connery. And I almost think, like, that's maybe one of his biggest detractions as a Bond as well, though, is that he makes it look so effortless that you almost kind of feel like, I'd like Bond to struggle a bit more. I'd like this all to be a little bit harder for him. Right. You know? You know, it's like, because Craig gets fucked up as Bond. Like, he gets, like, the shit kicked out of him. Like, he's a badass, but he also, he gets dirty, and he gets, you know, he gets fucking scruffed up. And he looks like, you know, at the end of, like, say, that Quantum of Solace, he looks like he's been through the fucking, he, he looks like he's been through, like, the, like fucking hell. Right. But Connery, I mean, let's, like, Dr. No's got robot hands, but you're not really going to buy that Dr. No's going to fuck up Connery. No. Connery will fuck up Dr. No, no problem. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that was one of the things, obviously, we've talked about that was so appealing about the Craig Bond is that he seemed more like a, post, uh, a post-Jason Bourne type of CIA spy action figure. Whereas the earlier Bonds, one of the things that was so interesting is that Roger Moore, you know, his hair never gets dirty. And Sean Connery, even if he does get into a fist fight, he's not like dripping with blood and his nose is fucked up and he's got like a broken arm and his clothes are torn. No, he still looks like he's ready to go again. Whereas Daniel Craig, he has to fucking like jump his heart again in his car in Casino Royale because the motherfucker just got poisoned and he's going to die, you know? And you really believe that he actually got fucked up and his nuts are getting crushed by uh what's the guy's name the mads mickelson's the Le- chief because Le- 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 is just fucking pounding because mads mickelson is mad <laughs> he's, he's mads um but yeah so so there is something about bond uh, sean connery's bond that that is lacking in that he maybe doesn't have that sort of that he's too indestructible but at the same time to me that was what was so when i was a little boy 
That was what was so appealing about Bond. He always got the girl, he always had the badass cars, and he did it with ease and suave and charm, and at the end of it, it looked like he was ready to go again on the next mission, you know? Well, can I, can I also just say, too, I mean, I, I cream over a little bit too much over Pierce Brosnan in a suit, but Connery can fucking wear a oh, suit, dude. man. Like, yeah. like Connery in that tuxedo is he just like, he's just, I mean, it's, it's like, it's amazing how, like, because it, it starts out weird. Because you get the weird, like, kind of color opening with the Bond theme, and it's not, it, it's not what you're used to as a Bond. You can tell this is the first iteration and they haven't quite figured out the formula right. yet. And then it starts in this really kind of odd little low, especially because you get so used to the idea of a Bond opening being this big, lavish sequence. And then, but what you get is this weird kind of thing where somebody like calls somebody up and then somebody gets murdered and then the secretary at the embassy, she gets murdered and then that's, and then they, they sort of, then they suddenly cut to the, the card game. And so it's, it's this kind of weird, slow thing that makes you kind of feel like, oh, this is weird. I'm, I'm watching a Bond film, right. right? And then, and then it's like that moment when you see him, and he just like looks up into France. Just like again, it's a little bit like what I'm talk, what I was talking about last week with Russell Crowe in Gladiator when he says the uh, when he says, "And I will have my vengeance mm. in this life and the next." It's like that moment where you're like, "I'm watching iconic cinema right mm. now. This this thing is happening to me," and I'm just like, "Holy fuck! This is a, this is awesome," you mm. know. And so yeah, and and that's that's it. And then from that moment on, you're like. This doesn't feel totally right, but Connery feels right. So I am along with this because I have Connery to take mm. me with him. Is that kind of how you felt and through the whole film? Yeah, no, I, I kind of felt like it's an odd Bond film because it is very low-key. It's it's like he goes to Jamaica, he asks around some things. Um, there's not a lot of action to it. Right. It's a little bit more kind of intrigue and detective work. And again... I like when Bond does a bit of detective work. Mm. Like, because Bond doesn't really detect that much. He just goes in and fucks things up. Like, Bond goes in, says, hi, my name is James Bond, waits for some guys to show up to beat him up, and then he's like, oh, who did these guys work for? They must be the guy. That's how Bond, like, <laughs> detects things. But, um, but like, Connery actually kind of goes around, asks some questions, tries and figures mm. some shit out. And then, you know, and I, I there's that whole kind of... And I suppose actually, like, Jamaica feels like a kind of fun place for him to be in. Um, and, I mean, I think Ian Fleming was really, like, into Jamaica. That's where his house was. And, you know, and, and, and it's yeah. kind of, it's it's a fun location for him to be. He has that sort of, uh, you get you get, uh, you get the fun bit of, like, Felix Leiter showing up. And I yeah, like, like this Felix, Felix Leiter. Leiter. Yeah. This is the kind of Felix Leiter I want. Like, I don't want, like, schlubby Felix Leiter. I want kind of, like... Fairly youngish, kind of rough and ready. Looks like he can get some shit done. Incidentally, you know what? Uh, you know who this Felix Leiter is played by? No, who? Jack Lord, who was the uh, lead of the original Hawaii Five O. No shit. Yeah. And my dad was like really into Hawaii Five O, so every time, so always brought this up when we watched Doctor No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I thought that was really interesting about this film. And that you get it a little bit in On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the discussions about criminality and global politics and what it is that makes somebody a bad guy. So that discussion when Bond is in Dr. No's lair, when Dr. No like crushes that 
that thing on the table, you know, and they're kind of talking about, you know, um, well, I, I wanted to see what kind of man you were, and I thought that you were more intelligent, and but you're just like a policeman and that kind of shit. There's an interesting discussion there that is kind of a theme that you get in Honor Majesty's Secret Service too, which is it seems like they're conceptually trying to do something a little more interesting. And I guess I had never realized that there's a little bit of substance to Bond that when I was a little boy I didn't really pay attention to. But it does kind of dabble in geopolitics, like what is it that would make the East versus the West and what is it that makes the good guys versus the bad guys and what is a criminal versus a, a policeman or or a, a government agent and, and things like that and why is it that you would become a criminal even though you're intelligent and you could have worked for you know, this government or that government or in the private sector, but no, you wanted to go and you work for Spectre because you believe that you're working for a higher cause because you couldn't find your place. And and so there are these interesting themes that are conceptually discussed, I think, in Dr. No, that you kind of get a little bit in, in Secret Service as well. It's it's kind of like they're trying to make a real film. Right, like, right. Because, okay, like, because it's, it's one of the things that I thought is really interesting, actually, is when I look at how the Fast and the Furious franchise has gone, I feel like the Fast and the Furious is almost basically in their Roger Moore period at mm. the moment, where it's just about crazy spectacle and fun, goofy fun that doesn't really have to make any sense, and it's just all, like, throwing it all up on the screen. It's globetrotting. It's stunts. It's crazy crap. Right. Um Whereas I think, like, this is back when... And I think that's where the Bond franchise evolves from. But I think the Bond franchise originally wanted to be more of a sort of straightforward spy film. You know, it's like a little bit more what Ian Fleming was writing about in its first novels. And, you know, and I think it's... It, I mean, that, that's it. I mean, it has the whole thing where it, it's a lot about... Connery kind of like skulking around the island trying to find out information like again I, I love the little thing where he like puts the hair on the door to see if anybody's like broken in or mm. anything like that and you know and it's it's again it's 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 fun shit like that that you don't feel like a Bond film a later Bond film would really stop to do mm. it would be too concerned with how do we get to the next set piece how do we get to the next big thing whereas this one I think it, they generally they have a plot and they kind of want to you, they they kind of want to go through the motions with it. Um, yeah. And again, like, so he hooks up with Felix Leiter. He hooks up with um, Quell. Is that his name? Um, the, yeah, the, Qu Quarrel. Quarrel, that's it. Who I mistookenly thought was Sharky in License to Kill. But I think Sharky is actually a character from Live, or Let, Live and Let Die. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I, I think I like all of those elements to it you mm. know so and i'm not sure how bond they are and how what they become what we think of bond and i can see why other people would watch this film and find it very very slow mm. but i mean i actually quite dug all of those elements to it you right. know and it's it's fun kind of seeing where this fan franchise grew out of it's not and there's elements, obviously, of the Bond film there that, that are going to come out. Like you've got you got the Bond girl, you've got the prototype Bond girl. Right. You've got you've got a villain with a weird deformity in a hidden base yeah. who wants to like hold the world ransom. That all feels very Bond. I think it's I think that's it. I think about the halfway mark, the film really starts to feel like a Bond film again. Mm. But it's I think the first half of the film really doesn't feel like a Bond film. Yeah, it and is I think weird that's going back and watching these earlier versions. In 2017, when we are so accustomed to the formula or to the winning elements of what makes a Bond film, to go back then and to see 
the progression to see where these other films played with and experimented these things, what was successful, what wasn't successful. It is quite interesting to kind of go back and, and do that. And, and I will say, like, this film has what I feel like I've been complaining about for almost all of these episodes, because I feel like we've ended up with mostly kind of the more unusual Bond films. Mm. But it has that thing that has pissed me off a lot about the Craig era, which is that Bond goes Bond goes in. He has a little bit of a chat with Moneypenny. They have a little bit of a, a, a flirt. Then they then he goes through M gives him a mission brief. He goes on a mission. And that's kind of what I want Bond to do. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm I'm a little bit sick of Bond going rogue or discovering dark secrets about his past or something like that. I just want Bond to go on a fucking mission, you know, yeah. and Craig has almost never gone on a mission. And it pisses me off. This is again, this is the post Jason Bourne influence mm-hmm. that Jason Bourne was trying to find out who he is and trying mm-hmm, to yeah. really flesh out those character elements and that's what they were trying to do and I think in Casino Royale it works fantastic but it's kind of like okay now we've set it up we understand who he is we get his backstory we get the reason why he's so upset about Vesper being killed we understand now let's kind of just follow through that without him being so internally driven well that's the interesting thing actually I'd say the Craig era probably takes far more from Honor Majesty's Secret Service than it does from Dr. No. And I think that's actually... Because I think especially as Honor Majesty's Secret Service has become reevaluated, that's kind of what everyone starts to see as the important elements of Bond. The the elements of tragedy, the elements of uh, these, these deep sort of underlying feelings about hurt, regret, frustration. That's what the Craig era is. The Craig era is entirely a sort of post... Um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Whereas, like, when you're in the Brosnan era, the Brosnan is more... Brosnan era is still playing off the Connery era. Mm. You know, with a little bit of the Moore era. It's like, that is kind of what it's trying to go. Whereas I feel like Craig comes from more of an obsession of what was set up in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Interesting. It, It is interesting to go back now in 2017 and watch a film from 1962 that, yeah, it was... It was... It was still like the late 50s where a man is a man and will slap a woman and the woman is just his handmaiden and she is a secondary item. Like Ursula Andress, her character is – it leaves a lot on the Bechdel test. Let's say that. But here's, 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 but here's the thing, OK? The first Bond girl – who I really like is uh, Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore because, okay. you know, she gets slapped around a little bit as well. It's kind of uncomfortable. And also the legacy of that character was that in the book she was a lesbian who Bond fucks back to being straight. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, obviously that's it's not what's in the movie. It's such a male it's, fantasy. It's slightly implied, but it's it's not it's not explicitly said in the movie. But it's like... At the same time, Honor Blackman's got some balls about her. You yeah. know, it's it's she's you know, but Ursula Andrews is a fucking China doll. She's a right. she's a blank slate, and that's the thing. Is like, what is Ursula Andrews known for? Why is she an iconic Bond girl? Because of the bathing she suit. She walks scene. out of the water yeah. in a fucking bikini. But see now, there's nothing. Nobody else can say anything else about her character. She literally has no traits beyond that. She's right. the most boring, empty vessel of a blonde girl, Wh- and I just don't give a fuck. Right, which is why I think. Analyzing the film now and making judgments about the film now is difficult from the perspective of people in 2017. But if you try to look at it contextually, then you understand, 
oh, I understand why she was such an icon because that was scandalous. That was beauty. That was insane. And then you get this sort of uh, the fantasy of male strength, globe trotting around the world, unlimited money at poker games. Well, it's, it's an exotic and- beauty too that sort of should be unattainable to the average man. Right. And then you kind of like, and it's um, it's, it's, fantasy. Uh, it's male fantasy. Well, there's sure. there's that whole like monologue that Sick Boy has in Train Spotting where he talks about uh, you know honor black men and how you know she's this unattainable, you know, sort of woman mm-hmm. to anyone but uh, James Bond. And she goes, you know, but that's all a bunch of bullshit. She fucked one punter from Edinburgh. She fucked us all. You know, it's like, <laughs> which, of course, is one of the interesting things is that Connery is not a debonair aristocratic man. He's a working class dude from Edinburgh who was a fucking milkman. Mm-hmm. And then fucking uh, and then, you know, he was a he was a bodybuilder and he, you know, he was in like shitty little Disney films like uh, what's the something in the little people or something like that. He wasn't like he was, you know, whereas Roger Moore is like more from that kind of background. Connery wasn't. He was a working class dude. And mm-hmm. that's where I think some of the darkness comes out of mm-hmm. is that he is that he kind of wears all of that sort of upper class nobility with a with a bit of disdain. And it's like and it's why it's why. And again, it's like that line in Casino Royale where, you know, uh, where Vesper is like dressing down Bond and she says, you know, you uh but uh, you were there on somebody else's dime and they never let you forget about it mm. why you wear that suit with such disdain you know it's like it's mm. it's like it's that's connery Con- there there's that there's that kind of edge of a man who's come who doesn't come from privilege in him mm. yeah like it, it almost like the reason that connery is a secret agent is because he was just an infantryman and he just yeah. worked his way to the top and so yeah, I can see that. I, I can. Kinda, he's a he's a, he's a commander. He's a, he's a, he's a naval commander. That's that's, that's the because right. they call yeah, it commander yeah. Bond. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I I I actually don't know much about what Bond's background before being a double O was, but I know that he was a naval commander. Obviously, his parents died in a skiing accident. But I think again, like none of that was actually had been written yet when they did Doctor No. I think that was something again that Ian Fleming uh, put into the books later. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I and I think that's the interesting. So okay, so I think one of the difficult things with Doctor No is there's not a lot of plot to Doctor No. It's it's kind of like they have this kind of whole thing of there's this hidden island and the locals are scared because there's a dragon. And this is one of the things that I don't buy. Is I'm kind of like I'm sorry, I just don't buy that anyone's that stupid that they look at that fucking car with a dragon painted on its face and actually think that's a real fucking dragon. I'm kind of like this Ursula Andress character. I'm like, are you really that fucking stupid? Right, right. Well, and it's not just it's like, yeah, and it, it also has elements of the sort of uh the 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 idiocy of the primitive man right that these people on this island they aren't as advanced as industrial societies so they don't understand technology and they think it's a dragon that's blowing fire which is kind of it's also like this this definitely an element there's definitely an element of british imperialism a hundred very much yeah and i mean bond is I mean, Paul Greengrass famously said in an interview that, uh, you know, when he was talking about Bourne compared to Bond, how Bond is a sort of disgusting relic of British imperialism. Mm. And, you know, and there's and, you know, it's something that was brought up. I remember in a really interesting article when they were talking about Bond being black, uh, like a black actor playing Bond and saying the problem with that is that people that he's still an iconic symbol of British imperialism. And the idea is him being this 
outside figure going into these exotic locations and mixing with the exotic locals. But the problem is you put a black actor in there and what he is, is he just blends in with the exotic locals. You know, he, mm. you know, he goes to, he goes to Jamaica and he just looks like one of the Jamaicans. So, and it's, it's, you know, it's written by a black writer. His point is that this is part of the problem of the, the underlying issue of Bond is that it is a sort of romanticism of British imperialism. And I think very much in the Connery era, that is very much true. You feel that you feel this idea that Britain has come in and they just hold sway over these these uh, sort of slightly superstitious locals in Jamaica. Right. Um, and then there's this inexplicable Swedish woman who just lives there in in a white bikini for some reason. And this is, again, part of my problem with Ursula Andrews. She makes no sense there either. It's like she's just this woman who randomly fucking like swims around islands fucking collecting seashells in fucking Jamaica. Like, what, what the fuck is that? It sounds like not a bad life, brother. I'd get down with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, but yeah. it's like it's like she she has no logic. She, there's no logic to no. the character. It's just she is there because she's a beautiful woman who they just want to put into the film. So, and again, my point is that she has an iconic image. That is all she is. She is an iconic image, and that's it. Like she's there, there's nothing else you could tell me about that character, Honey Rider. What the fuck else is there to her besides she steps out of the water in a white bikini? Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. I, I will say, too, and here's my other thing, is I actually think this film has a very underrated Bond girl, and that is Sylvia Trench. You like Sylvia Trench? I think Sylvia Trench is great. Um, and here's the interesting thing, is Lois, Max, Lois Maxwell, who plays Money Penny, was actually offered whether she wanted to be uh, Sylvia Trench or Money Penny, and she picked Money Penny oh. um, because... You know, they were trying to this was supposed to be an ongoing film series. And she thought, well, I'll get more I'll get more, you know, work out of it. Right. You know? Yeah. I'd rather have seven roles rather than our role. However, funnily enough, Sylvia Trench was originally supposed to come back more consistently. Like the idea was she was going to kind of be Bond's on again, off again girlfriend for a while. Like that he'd come back and kind of, but like the thing that I like about her is she also kind of feels like she's like, she kind of feels like, yeah, she gets down with Bond, but she's probably going around and fucking some dudes as well. Like she's like, she's not like, this is not a woman who's like, you feel like there's an element of the swinging sixties of, of this is a prototypical woman of the, of the swinging sixties is going to take more agency in her own sexuality. Well, I mean, she is alone at the poker table playing with what seems to be her money. So there's a sense in which, even though she does have a big diamond ring on her married, on her, uh, on her ring finger, which I did notice. I was like, Oh, is she supposed to be married? I don't remember if that, that is referenced at all, but she does have a big old fucking ring. But, still you start thinking okay so she's obviously somehow independent and she's got money which means that she's got some level of autonomy oh, yeah. so there's a power and also like she yeah. she shows up in bond's room she's like you That's know right. she's like yeah i saw i saw you at the table i you know i wanted a piece of that well and you're yeah. you're kind of like well and, she's, and, and again, she's the one that propositions him because she yeah, says again about golf she's like yeah he's like let's you know do you play any sports and he's like well let's play tomorrow she said well can i tell you in the morning and so she's yeah. the one that actually yeah. propositions him and then again, that's what I, I like is like she's like she's like, yeah, I want to, you know, y- y- who can fucking blame her? We just talked about we just she just fucking looked at that close up of 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 him saying Bond, James Bond. And she's gone like, yeah, I'm going to have a piece of that. I'm breaking <laughs> me off a piece of that right now. Right. And, and, right. and you know, and then, you know, she because she appears again in From Russia with Love. And it was going to be this idea that she was like his kind of semi on again, off again girlfriend who mm. he'd come back and kind of 
hang out with a bit and sort of check in with. And, you know, and I, and I think they kind of lost interest in that. But I think that part of that was this idea that, you know, they kind of did their own things. They kind of went and fucked around. And then, you know, whenever he was in town, they'd be like, yeah, we'll hook up again. It's kind mm. of like it's not a and I and I again, I think there's something really for a film that is for a film series that is portrayed as as, as obviously thought of being as massively uh, misogynist. And obviously there's some deep misogynist problems within Bond. I will say from the get-go, it actually has a lot about pushing the agenda of female sexuality, Mm. you know, and sort of like, you know, and it's, you know, there's a certain amount of sexual agency in some of the characters portrayed in the Bond series. I'm not going to say all of them because say someone like... Someone like Honey Rider, I think, is much more portrayed as a kind of like virginal innocent who's there mm. for Bond to sort of like. Uh, same with take. the one in For Your Eyes Only. That that girl. yeah yeah. But I well will the two say, in like, For Your Eyes Only. Like, you got the figure skater yeah. and then you've got the main girl. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, but he doesn't fuck the figure skater. Yeah, but she still has that virginal innocence that is like yeah. you know supposed to be the thing that yeah. But I will say though I actually think the virginal innocence in her is kind of supposed to be off putting. It is because she's a little too yeah. needy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think. I think that Sylvia Trench is actually quite an ahead of her time character, mm. you know, and I, and I, and I, I, you don't get the impression that she's that fucked off about Bond going off and doing her own thing, cause she, doing his own thing. Cause she's doing her own thing. And I, and I like that. And I think again, like to me, Sylvia Trench is the far more interesting Bond girl in this film, even though she's, she's not in it. And again, you know, you got the first appearance of Money Penny, And again, Money Penny is a character who's like, she appears and right away the dynamic just works. Like right. it's there and it just makes sense. Yeah. And you know, I like Lois Maxwell. This is kind of like Lois Maxwell and peak form like she starts to get a little bit too lovelorn as the series goes on like when roger moore started you know started up as bond like she'd just get too lovelorn whereas connery it was more like she was always kind of like she was always kind of just fucking around with connery but like Mm. you know and then and then also she starts to get uncomfortably like it starts to get a little bit weird because like because as she gets older as well in the more one, you start to feel like, I just feel sorry for this woman now. Cause she just feels like she's like this old spinster. Who's just like waiting around for more to come back. Right. right you know, whereas right. like, or it's like, you know, I could picture money penny going out and having some fun on her own, you know, uh, you know, in the Connery era. Yeah. And in honor majesty's secret service, she kind of, she kind of one ups, uh, Lazenby a little bit in that one scene. I can't remember what it is, but he's talking about like, you know, uh, like, you know, a dinner at eight or something like that. And she almost kind of puts him down a little bit. Like there's a little yeah. bit of a banter there. And you're kind of like, okay, I kind of like that. I, I love it when Money Penny puts down Bond. That's what, yeah. I want. That's what I want. I want to see Money Penny just absolutely just take Bond, take Bond to task. And then it's you interesting. It's I was going to ask, actually, I forgot about this. With regards to Secret Service, when Lazenby marries Diana Rigg and uh, Lois Maxwell is just bawling is, and they kind of make that eye contact and Lazenby looks back at Money Penny. Is that because this is kind of like, you know, I really do love you or is this like I'm happy or is this like I will never have you? What's nah, going on I, I don't – you know, here's the interesting thing. Again, I think it's one of those things that if you had Connery, it would work better because Connery, they've been doing this kind of like flirting back and forth for five movies. If you have Connery looking at her, it feels like it makes more of a fucking communication at that moment in time. Yeah. But Lazenby – and weirdly, I don't know. I'm acutely aware that Lazenby is like 29. Right. And Lois Maxwell, I think, is in her 40s at this point. And it doesn't like 
it doesn't fly for me. Like right. it doesn't work. Like it yeah. just like those two don't look like they'd have ever really been together. Right. Whereas like Connery and Moneypenny, you know, Connery and Lois Maxwell, they kind of they're kind of the right age. Even like I'll say like Moore and Lois Maxwell were the right age for yes. each other. Yes. But you know, it's like. More and yeah, with with uh, with 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 Lazenby, it just doesn't work. And I, and, yeah. but I actually think genuinely she's supposed to be sad. I think we're supposed to feel that she's sad and she's she's kind of like, oh, you know what, you know what could have been, which I don't okay. like. I, I kind of like the yeah. idea that Money Penny likes the idea of yeah, Connor. I kind of like the idea that Money Penny would be like Bond would be good for a, for a night of fun, but she's never like seriously been like. Yes. Yeah, Bond is the one for me. That's kind of so how I, I, I always I don't like a lovelorn Bond. Yeah, okay, I that's, can see that's, that. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just wondering because I didn't know how to interpret that exactly. So, but yeah, I think like clearly the theme of this is I like when women give give Bond shit. <laughs> that's 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 it. You know? Yeah, and that, and that's the one thing that that is interesting with Sylvia Trench that in 1962, I wonder how scandalous her character would have been. Yeah. You know? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, too, is I like the idea. I, I like the idea this kind of work for Bond, that Bond has to, like, match wits with a woman. Whereas, like, the thing that I don't like is with someone like Honey Ryder, it's like he has to just seduce her in this kind of like it's almost like, again, it feels like this kind of like he's manipulating her more than whereas like with like, you know, when he matches wits with someone, there's something that feels more organic to it. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. Okay, so, so let's I, I, just just finishing this. I think because we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. But I just so, I was just gonna say like, also this film has a really really like low key climax. Like so they're gonna like they're gonna like uh, launch the thing or destroy the rockets or whatever. I forget what it is that they're yeah, actually. Well, doing. they're gonna they're gonna disable the the rockets. It's like um like Project Mercury or whatever the fuck it's called, which yeah. was like a real, which was like a real. A yeah, because they hadn't thing. actually. Yeah, they hadn't actually. You know, this is pre the Apollo missions. Right. This is like so. You know, this would have been around the time that they were actually orbiting the Earth for the first yeah, time. Yeah. So the U.S. is testing these these space rockets, and mm-hmm. they are shooting out these like nuclear laser beams or some shit like that that somehow disables the rockets. So that's what the idea yeah. is. They've got this nuclear reactor that is supposed to somehow uh, disrupt the rockets from launching from Cape Canaveral. Yeah, and then and so then Bond uh, basically he crawls through a vent, which I don't know if maybe that was like a more new thing then because we, we've seen a lot of people crawl through vents at this point. So it, right. it kind of doesn't feel like it's he crawls through a vent and like he he messes up some of the shit and like I don't know like then the building blows up. Yeah, he, but, he like, dresses up like a henchman and he like yeah. overloads the reactor, right? So it's like it's like the reactor's about it's like five, four, three, two, and then like in the final seconds, Bond somehow he overloads the nuclear reactor so that it it blows up the base rather than actually disrupting the rockets. Well, this is also like such a weirdly Bond thing as well, where it's like. He gets captured by the villain, and the villain's like, hi, let me treat you to a five-star hotel room and service, (laughs) you know, because why? Like, why is he keeping him alive? Because he says that he wanted to meet him to see what kind of man he was because he thought that he could get him to join Spectre. And then he says, but then I met you, and I realized that you're just a policeman. 
And that was oh, the yeah, idea. Yeah. There's that battle of wits that, you know, Dr. Yeah, no yeah, thinks yeah. that he's this diabolical genius that uh, thinks he might see some hope. It's kind of like the Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. You know, they think they can turn him to the dark side and then they realize yeah, that they can't. Yeah. So he's like, ah, oh, now I will kill you. But before I, I do know, that. Because Bond is already on the dark side. Yeah. He's just <laughs> in a very, very different dark side. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very well executed. I mean, it's too no. convenient. It's, it's like, hey, I'm going to bring you to my lair so that I can give you as many opportunities as possible to disrupt my plan. <laughs> there's so many things there's so many things that are like charmingly low key in the film too. It's like, oh we need to kill Bond. We'll put a spider in his bed. <laughs> you know? Again, I'm kind of like, why? Just fucking shoot him. I'm like, what's the, the what's why are you why are you going through this really complicated thing of just putting a fucking spider in his bed? I know. It's it's like the typical joke that you see in action movies where the bad guy has to explain the plot and he's taking five yeah. minutes, giving the good guy enough time to get rid of or to untie his hands behind his back so that when the moment comes when the bad guy's eventually gonna pull the trigger, he just he knocks the gun out of his hand at the last second it's like yo why don't you just like put him on his knee and just shoot him in the head really quickly and then it's done it's like because also it's that funny thing too because bond obviously like dodges like millions of bullets like there's always like guys like firing machine guns at him but can't hit him so i'm kind of like it's like that thing of like like you have all of these henchmen who are trying and failing to kill him and yet when he's at point blank range they just say no let's not actually shoot him yeah it's given me a distorted view of reality because one I feel like I can jump out of a moving car and never get hurt two I feel like if I were in a gunfight nobody has good aim except for me three I'm always gonna get the pretty girl four I can jump off of a fucking cliff into a plane that's falling down and I'll be able to start it up and fly it because I can fly anything helicopters planes whatever because if you can fly one thing this is a general actually oh no no this is a general problem with bond as well <laughs> is that bond knows too much about everything. everything like it's like it's like even in honor majesty's secret service is that bit where the guy's like messing around with like butterflies and then bond's suddenly a fucking expert in butterflies for some reason well, and there's the bit when he's talking with the chicks in the allergy unit about genealogies for like a four hours it's like how does bond know as much as this supposed esteemed genealogist that's supposed to be there <laughs> Oh, he, he looked over it for a weekend. It's yeah, fine. exactly. It's like, but it's like, I almost kind of just wish Bond like occasionally had something he didn't know that much about. Yeah, because like it used to, it used to, especially the Moore era was really bad for this as well. Where like he'd come into M's office and M would say something, and then Bond would go, "Oh, you mean such and such," and then reel off like three paragraphs about it, showing right. that he's an expert at it. Right. Exactly. Um, but no, I, I I will say, and I, I think we can um, we can probably wrap this up and go to the go to the ratings cool. now. But um, I will say, I, I enjoy Doctor No. It's by no means my favorite of the Connery. My favorite of the Connery is from Russia with Love. For me, this was probably my favorite Connery film, simply because I think I told you this when I was a teenager. I had a box set of VHSs of all of the Connery Bonds, and because they were sequential, this was the first one, which means it was the first one that I kind of just pulled out of the pack and I watched, and I was like, oh, that's what it's supposed to be. So I kind of watched it sequentially. So for me, it wasn't yeah. like I went back and watched it and then tried to fill it into what I thought yeah, the yeah. forms of a Bond film should have been. So well, of course, you grew up with more being like your Bond. Right. As I grew well. up the so very like, first Bond. Whereas I grew up with like Connery as yeah. the Bond. Yeah. The very first Bond films I ever saw were uh, like Spy Who Loved Me, Free Your Eyes Only, Moonraker. Well, so. Well, I grew up in a in a a, a, a half Scottish house. You yeah, know? Exactly. so it's like it's like you know half my family's Scottish. You're you're fucking it's 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 Connery all the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So did I did I tell you uh, I took my grandmother who's in her eighties to see Skyfall? And, oh really? Um, 
and she fucking hated it. And it oh, was, really? She fucking hated it. And she was just like, it's so violent. And you know what? Connery used to at least talk to people. <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, but yeah, so my 80-year-old grandmother does not, is not a fan of Daniel Craig. Uh, um, that's so funny. Okay, so uh, ratings-wise, so leading off with how good are they at being Bond? Austin, what did you give Lazenby? I feel like I'm going to give him a higher score than you would have. I gave him a 7, and the reason is because I thought his physicality was really good for Bond. Uh Lazenby can't act. We know that. He tried, but in terms of his physicality, that was there. And so I kind of liked that. And he look, I think he looks good in a suit. And um, we'll get there in a second. But there's also that bit where he wears the, like, Sherlock Holmes coat thing. And I think he kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I kind of like the way that he, that he looks as Bond. And I think that because of that, I think he's pretty good. And it's mainly his physicality in, in that role of doing something a little different than you would get with Roger Moore or even Pierce Brosnan. That brings up a good point because I also don't like Bond being goofy. So, like, I, I, I think Bond – I think Bond's cover should never be goofy or silly. So you like, don't like Bond that Sherlock Holmes? Is, Bond is a badass even when he's undercover. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I think this is going to be no surprise. Connery gets a fucking 10 because yeah. he's just – he's fucking Bond. Is, I mean I'm not going to like yeah. – I, I can't like – I can't. there's nothing I can downgrade Connery on. He's just no. fucking awesome. He is He uh, is the ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, – Set pieces and action scenes. I gave it a nine because I think that the Swiss Alps bit are great. I, like I said, I think the first third of the film for me just really kind of drags in general. But I think once they get to the Alps, I think it's fucking amazing. I think uh, the ski scene is great. I think they're trying to do a lot of interesting stuff with like the helicopter shots. There's one bit when he first gets to the lair and he's looking out these uh, blinds and he pushes a button and automatically the blinds open. And this helicopter comes across the, the camera and then the camera pans to the left a little bit. And it's this really artistic shot and Bond is standing there looking. But it's beautiful. He's looking out over the Alps and there's this helicopter. And even though that's not like an action scene... I think the idea is is that what they tried to do was really scale up big time, and I think it yeah. works really well. And, and they, it's a good one for set pieces. Actually, yeah. do you know what I think? I still think it's amazing is that fucking shot of the avalanche, dude. And I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? They started like that, a fucking avalanche. It's it's like it's fucking it's that is like again. That's why I watch the fucking Bond movies because the problem yeah. is nowadays. I watch a shot of an avalanche. I go, oh, they just do that in a CGI, computer. Right. But there, like, I'm watching a Bond movie. I'm like, they had to fucking do that. Yeah, like, somebody made that happen. They actually caused a goddamn avalanche. I know. And then, even though they're not the best, the cutaways when the snow overtakes the henchmen and then Bond yeah. and Diana Rigg, it, it actually kind of works, even though... It's quite visceral for a he, Bond film. It's like, it you know... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, set pieces and action scenes, you know, it, it's a hard one because there's actually not a lot of action in it. No. But, you know, Connery quits himself good enough. I give it a seven because okay. it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's not like, you know, I, I didn't want to really massively mark it down because, you know, what is there is, is good enough, but it's not right. like amazing. Uh, okay, so next we've got clothes, brackets, how cool does Bond look? Okay, now I'm being very favorable and there are two reasons why. One, because he's obviously an Australian model so he's got a really nice body so he can wear a suit well because he's got that nice V shape, okay? So he looks good in a suit. But the main reason I'm giving him a nine is because he rocks a kilt for like a long time. I'm shocked by that because also he wears that fucking horrible tuxedo with the fucking cravat like... (laughs) 
I don't shirt underneath it, which is just it's awful. So <laughs> I'm 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 shocked by that. I will take the points. I thought he looked, but real, I, I would never he... in a million years have given the film that much credit. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I, I think, you know, again, I appreciate the kilt. They never explain why he's wearing a kilt. They just put him in. I think that he's in a kilt because they want the woman to write on the inside of his leg. But yeah. that's 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 it. Like, there's no there's, there's never any explanation for why he's suddenly arrived as a kilt, especially when he's supposed to be playing like Posh this English. fancy pants English. Guy. I know. I know. I know. Um, uh, but, you know, as as a person who actually owns a kilt, I do appreciate saying a kilt on screen. Of course. Um, okay, uh, Bond, oh, sorry, I, for clothes, how cool does he look? Connor's gonna get a 10, because Connery just looks fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like, again, it's like, I, I can't mark Connery down. Right. It's like, you put me in, it's an impossible position to be in. Yeah, even when he's just wearing the shirt that's, like, half-buttoned, <laughs> he looks yeah. phenomenal. And he's also, like, this is also Connery at his best. And this y- is Connery looking you know what I like? the leanest, the best yes. he's ever looked. And you know what I like about him? He This is, like, before six-packs were a thing. Yeah, and yeah. so he's got a body that you're like, oh, that's what a man looked like then. He had some hair on his chest. He doesn't have the six-pack. But nevertheless, you're still, like, the guy's fit. And, and there's something interesting. Well, he was also, yeah. like, he was, uh, he was also a... Um, he was a bodybuilder That's, before yeah, he was an said actor. That as well. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a he was a, he was like a Mr. Universe contestant. No shit, I did not yeah. know that. Huh? Okay. Um. But um. But okay. So uh, next we go on to Bond Girl. Okay. So Bond Girl, I didn't just give it because of Diana Rigg, even though she's great, but also because of the many, 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 many Bond girls. Um. So I I gave him I gave it a ten because I think and because I think Diana Rigg is a great. Bond girl, uh, even yeah. though I didn't like her at first, but also because just the amount of Bond girls. I mean, you are right. Like, he is a fucking hoe. It is ridiculous. Film, it is ridiculous. There is no <laughs> other like Bond. Bond it's ridiculous. He, literally, he has five girls lined up. Like, he's like, it was like eight o'clock, you'll be at mine. Uh, Nine o'clock, you'll be at mine, and ten o'clock, you'll be at mine. So it's like. Well, do you remember too? Do you remember too when we were talking about um, for your eyes only? And I was like, Bond gets down a lot in that film, but like Bond, like even like that, like Bond like gets down way less than he does in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. Like he's just like you know he's. I mean, that's the thing is like that's probably why he can't outrun that avalanche because he's fucking exhausted by that <laughs> point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about uh, you, Bond girl? Um. So obviously I was really I've I've been on record I'm not keen on Ursula Andres at all. Right. I've I think she her entire iconic status comes from one shot that has nothing to do about her as a character. Right. But as I've said, I'm also a big fan of Sylvia Trench and she is part of one of the most iconic scenes in Bond history, and she's the first person to ask him his fucking name. Mm. So, and again, I think there is an interesting element to her where she's a kind of ahead of her time, you know, woman with her own kind of sexual agency. Plus, you get the introduction of Money Penny. I'm giving it a ten. That's you know, it's 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 a film with it. It is a film. Like as much as I can say I don't like Honey Rider, it is still an iconic shot. Yeah. And it is like it is something that is so big within the Bond canon. Then you also have Sylvia Trench, who's I, I think is an interesting character. Yeah. And then you have and then you have Lois Maxwell as you know the first Money Penny. So it's it's got to be a ten. I'll give it a ten. Hundred percent. I can see that. Yeah. Um, all right. So villain for uh, Secret Service, I gave Telly Savalas an eight. So an eight. I'm yeah yeah. I'm surprised at that. You thought I would I go thought, higher. I thought, 
I thought you'd go higher. Yeah. Really? No, I gave it an eight, and the reason is because um, even though I think he was a, a nice physical presence, and he actually gets down on the mountain and skis and shit like that, and I think he's great. Um, he's not. If I'm going to to say that like a nine or a ten is, um, and I can't remember the dude's name right now, but Davy uh, or Davy Robert Davy is that his Dr- name? Robert Davy. I mean, yeah. that to me like is a little bit more interesting as a Bond villain. So I'm I'm making this like a relational. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, villain, I am giving. I feel like I've marked the villain up way too high now. It's like it's I've given the villain an eight because, okay. uh, but because I feel like again you kind of have the beginnings of the Bond villain. You have like the robot hands. Right. You have he's got the lair. I feel like I feel like he very much begins the idea of what a Bond villain is. He like does. he's you can see a very straight line from him to Blofeld, and uh-huh. you know kind of some of the the more iconic villains. And I you know I like when they got like a weird little thing about them that's fucked up. Like I I you know, I always want that. I want like a little bit of character. So. Yeah. You know, robot hands. Plus, it has that weird charm of being creepily racist in a 60s fashion. So it's like, <laughs> which, you know, again, we could look back now and kind of go like, oh, that's charming that right. we were that fucked up back then. So, yeah, so it's it's uh, yeah, uh, I'm giving it an eight, but I still feel like I've been too charitable now. OK, yeah. So for henchmen, then in uh, Secret Service, I gave it a seven. And it's because like the henchman is it, really the main henchman is that one guy, right? The. The guy that uh, Diana Rigg ends up fighting and choking out. Uh, no, the henchman is the henchman is like the Frau, the, bull, the bull lesbian that, uh, that is in charge of all the women. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah Frau, I guess. Yeah. I guess so. I gave I gave a seven. She's, she fucking mur- she fucking murders Diane Rigg at the end. Well, that's a good point. You can make your case at the end to boost that up, but all I right. gave it a seven. All right, all right. Uh, henchman, I've given a five because I'm not even really sure what the henchman in Doctor No is. Like, there isn't really There's a henchman, henchman in Doctor No. no. Like, that's the thing is you've, you've done well in the first part of this, but the second half is going to hurt you a lot. Same with you. Same with you. Because okay. plot, I gave it a five because it's fucking good. <laughs> it's a really dumb, stupid plot. Dumb as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fucking stupid <laughs> plot. I can't defend the plot at all. I think this, it actually might be one of the dumbest plots of a Bond movie ever. Because yeah. I'm kind of like, again, it's like... You steal a missile. You're going to shoot it at something. I kind of like see that. You're a crazy, megalomaniacal person who wants to create a new race of people under the sea. I could kind of see that. But the idea that you would go through the whole process of brainwashing people just so they could take some viruses somewhere is yep. so inexplicably stupid to me. In a we- and, 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 and I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, it makes so little sense. I I'm like, I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. I'll, I'll take what points you'll give me on that yeah, one. Yeah. Okay, uh, plot I've given to a seven mm-hmm. on this. I mean, it's fairly streamlined, it's fairly straightforward, but I think it works. It makes sense, yeah. you know. And it's got a it's got a hideout. It's it's sort of it's Bond enough without being too over the top, and you know, and so it's fine. It's like, a, and you know, and it, and again, I like that Bond does a little bit of detecting in it, tries to ask around, find some things. So yeah, so right. I'm, I give it a seven. Cool. Uh, gadgets, car. I gave it a six, and even though there aren't really gadgets, there is that one gadget where they open up the safe. Um, the car, I mean, he obviously is always driving a nice car. Um, I mean, like, really nice car. But there isn't anything where it, like, there isn't, like, a sequence where he's with Q and he's going through gadgets. And yeah. there isn't a moment where it's like, and this is the new Bond car. So it kind of... This is a criminal waste of Q in this film. Like, he yeah. shows up at the beginning with his weird thing about microbes, which I think is supposed to be a joke about the fact that they're not doing gadgets in this one. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, and then, um, and then... 
after that, we've then got uh, we've then just got that really shitty thing where he sort of shows up at the wedding and kind of goes, "Oh, Bond, we never got on, mm. but uh, I think you've made th- don't don't fuck this up, you know, yeah, or whatever." Exactly. And again, just criminal waste of Desmond Llewellyn. So that's that's you know. At least he got a paycheck. No. Yeah. All right, Kier. So cars and gadgets. Uh, I mean, this is kind of a hard one, and I, you know, I, I fronted you some points on a very, very a, a fact that again that y- you get points for Doctor No being the first one of this is like the only real gadget scene is when um, Dickhead, who's not Q. I mean, I know technically he has the same name as the character Q. He's still not fucking Clue because he's Q because he's not fucking Desmond Llewellyn. Okay, so let's just like all the people out there who are kind of they have the same character. No, no, fuck you. He's not Q. Okay, so I'm, I'm I won't have it. He's not Q. Okay. Anyway, point is, uh, he this you know we, there's that little bit where like M's like fuck you Bond and your Beretta. That's a that's a dumbass gun. So it's like jams on you and shit, and you ended up in a hospital because you're a fucking douchebag. Get 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 a real fucking gun. And then Q's like here have a Walter PPK, and because like. Ever, they make such a big thing of Bond having the Walter PPK. I'm get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow that as a gadget in this. Because I, I never knew that that was such a big deal that he oh had yeah. the Walter PPK. Well, it was like it was like a thing. Like, um, like originally in the original book, Casino Royale, he carries a Beretta, and then this dude okay. wrote Ian Fleming and was like. Dude wouldn't carry a Beretta, he'd carry a Walter PPK. I know this because I'm like a fucking spy or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the, I don't remember what the guy's like background was. But anyway, Ian right. Fleming took this shit seriously. And Listen, so someone ruined his cover so that he could correct Ian <laughs> exactly. Fleming about James Bond. That's yeah. how indebted this guy was to the series. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, point is Bond gets the Walter PPK. And it's like cause also I love the line in Goldeneye when uh Robbie Coltrane goes like Walter PPK. I know three men who use this gun. I believe I have killed two of them. And, you know, and it's, like, it's like, yeah, so, I mean, the Walter PPK is always a big thing. So, yeah, so, okay, so on that, I mean, pretty much there's no gadgets in this film, so it gets a five because of okay. the Walter PPK. That's what it yeah, gets. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. All right, so okay. we're on to title song and opening credits. Yeah, so title song and opening credit is weird because it doesn't really have – Majesty's Service doesn't really have – uh. Uh, like a proper title song, like it doesn't I have a bassy. It looks theme nice song. though. I mean, the, the sequence itself yeah. looks nice, like with the yeah. hourglass and shit. Yeah, it's got those hourglasses. So there's like you know a reference to time, and then it's got that montage of all of the footage from all of the previous Bond films, which you know it's doing a lot of heavy lifting to try again to make sure just to spoon feed everybody that hey, this is just a continuation of the series. Even though but, it but comes done- right after he's just said. This never happened to the other guy. It's like, <laughs> why is that line there? It's like know, it's, it's like a cheap laugh, but undermines so much of the film. It it is a cheap laugh, but it did make me laugh still. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but so you know, I, I actually enjoy the opening credit. It is nice looking. It's stylish. It's slick. Um, and the the instrumental accompaniment is rather nice. It's a good so score in general. It, it's it's yeah. a pretty good score in general. It and is really – it's a nice I mean, score. And it's also one of these ones because For Musher With Love is kind of the same way. It has a song. It's not the opening title song, but it does technically have a song because it's uh, it's right. got Louis Armstrong, We Have All the Time in the World. 
um, which is not a Bond song anyway. It's like I wouldn't. No. It's not. I'm not throwing it out there as kind of like, hey, take this as the song for it, because honestly, that's not particularly. I, I wouldn't put that as like a something where I, I. That's not my hill that I'm gonna die on. No, exactly, exactly. But because it's visually interesting, and because I, I I appreciate what they were trying to do with the montage and the hourglass and time and shit like that, I gave it a seven. Okay, fair enough. And he, keep, he does keep saying, I mean, like, they wanted to really drum that line into you in the end. We have all the time in the world. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's, they say exactly. it twice within the space of two minutes. They, they really want you to know that. Yeah, which basically, does that mean we have all the time in the world to make Bond films and we're never, ever, ever, ever going to stop? Hey, Austin, you know what? We got all the time in the world to podcast. Just <laughs> all the time. Just... Okay, uh, so um, title song and opening credits. I mean, like, I'm, I, I got to be harsh with you on this one because, like, yeah. I mean, it's like it's not even the beginnings of what feels like what the Bond title sequence is going to be like the, the the true beginning. I mean, even from Russia with Love, they at least kind of have like a woman with some stuff being projected on her. It kind of feels a bit more like how, what the Bond title sequences are going to be, even though they haven't got the song for it yet. I mean, Golden right. Eye is the true. Sorry, not Goldfinger is the true original standard bearer. Is that for, when it starts? It's Goldfinger. That's when. It, yeah, yeah, and that's why Shirley Bassey is like the the most awesome like bond score per, bond song person because you know golden eye gold, fucking golden eye goldfinger is the prototypical first real bond opening title sequence how many songs did bassy do uh she did that she did diamonds are forever she and she did moonraker the moonraker one shit though um, okay. But Diamonds Are Forever and Goldfinger are both fucking tunes. And then <laughs> and I, I still think arguably she did Skyfall, considering Adele is basically just ripping off Shirley Bassey for that movie. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. But anyway, anyway, point is like that opening title. It's just it's some colors and the points. The only points it gets is that it is the first introduction of the Bond theme, which is just one of the most badass themes of all time. Right. Do you, do you know the backstory of the Bond theme? No, I actually don't. It's, it's actually it was a pre-existing theme that was like part of like a musical called um it was like it's called a like Goodbye Mr. Bisquick or something like that and it's okay. like sitars and it's like a sort of low-key sort of uh tune and yeah. I and it's yeah it's really strange and John Barry reappropriated it and kind of like uh put it put some trumpets in and made it like this big thing but if you listen to the original it's really weird because you can hear it you can hear the theme but it sounds tonally totally different i hope those motherfuckers got some royalties from that shit (laughs) i i I have i have no well i think it's um because it's john barry reworking the i think it's sort of seen as a collaboration Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean it really is one of the top five most recognizable theme songs or or sound bites from cinema history ever i mean that you so that star wars uh maybe indiana jones it's i mean it's just it's what so else? fucking hum- hummable like it's just like yeah you know it's like everybody everybody could go yeah exactly. and it's like <laughs> and it's like you know when we talk about the end of honor majesty's secret service when that comes in you just you're, you're pumped up and you're ready to go you know it's, yeah it's exactly. just fucking awesome it's just like when that comes in you're like i am ready i am ready for some bond okay so yeah. it gets a five because of that it gets a five but it's got nothing else going for it that that three blind mice thing is weird i i and the silhouette thing and you know i'm again saul bass was doing much more badass opening credits than this you know throughout this time period so it it doesn't get any credit for it's it's not a particularly interesting opening title sequence so but it does have the bond theme so kudos to it and yeah it gets a five okay 
Yep. Um, so one-liners. Um, so we briefly talked about this in the middle of the segment, and uh, because Lazenby isn't exactly the greatest actor, and I, I don't know why they decided to make some of the cheesy one-liners that they did, like the one where you said that guy had guts, or oh, what was yeah, it? Yeah. What was oh, it? He, had, he had guts, or he had a lot of guts. He had a lot or... of guts. Also, like, because that death bothers me, because there's no reason for that guy to die. Like, it's not like he dies because Bond does something exceptionally clever. He dies because he's basically a dumbass. He doesn't jump the thing properly and falls in. You're like, you, you're, you know, it's like, it's not like Bond did anything. Bond just relied on somebody to be an idiot. You know, you know what these one liners reminded me of a little bit, especially that one. It reminded me of Mr. Freeze. when. When his one-liners, when Schwarzenegger, it, it had those cool typical off. kind of. <laughs> you know what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. I mean, it was it was that level cheesy. Yeah. But because there were so many of them, there were like a lot to the point where I started thinking. I was like, oh, when is the next one-liner coming? And there it was. I was like, oh, there's another. It, it's so like, this is like was... the American in you coming out. You're kind of like, you know what? It wasn't very good, but at least there was a lot of it. This is a participation trophy, is what I'm giving. This is like it. a buffet. This is like it's like you go to like one of those Chinese buffets. You're like the food is shit, but at least I can eat as much as I want of it. Yeah, when you lived in New Mexico, did you ever go to Sizzler? Yeah, it was a Sizzler. Obviously, I was you remember a Sizzler. Sizzler, yeah, Sizzler, Sizzler was like shit food, but they always had a salad bar that you could get like all you can eat, uh, like drumsticks and salad, and then you could get like frozen yogurt. And I always thought that was the bomb. The food see, was see, shit actually, quality. The, the, the equivalent to that for me is like the Pizza Hut buffet, where you go to the Pizza Hut buffet and the pizza is like not that good, but it doesn't matter because you can have as it's, much of it as you want. Exactly. That's what this is. So I'm giving it a six. <laughs> okay. Fair play. Fair play. Okay. So um, this. My score of this is almost entirely based off of one line, and it's one of the most badass fucking lines I think Bond has ever uttered, which is where he goes, that's a Smith & Wesson, and you've had your six, and then basically just shoots the guy. I'm like, yeah. and that's that's obviously, because also, like, the other famous one is, like, this one that's kind of similar to that is Dirty Harry, where he's like, you know, uh, so did you hear six shots or... Did you hear seven? Um, so you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky? You know, it's oh. like it's like that. But, um, but you know, but Bond is so much more badass when he does it because he's just oh, like, so much more. And it's Sean Connery yeah. who just seems he's not pushing it because I feel like Dirty Harry, you know, and people mock that line. But yeah. it's like he's really pushing. Do you feel well, do lucky? You punk. Do you punk? I know. He's like. But with Sean Connery, it's so relaxed. It's like I'm in control of this situation, and you're out. Well, it's like it's like that thing. He's like he's like I let you fucking pull that trigger because I knew you didn't have any bullets, you dumbass. It's like, he just, <laughs> it's exactly. like he, he, and and I think that's the thing about Connery, right? Too is like Connery, like he's so smooth. Almost everything sounds like a one liner coming out of his mouth. It's like that's true. It's it's yeah. it's like it, it, he almost like subverts one liners by just being awesome and charming and cool and everything he almost doesn't need them so i I don't think like i think there's some witty back and forth but i don't think there's a lot of specifically one-liners but at the same time i'm I'm giving this an eight because like i just fucking love that line and connery is smooth as fuck in the whole thing so so yeah so that's it okay so challenges what are we challenging um I mean, I guess what – so the only one I'll probably challenge is let's do the title song and the opening credit. And I know that you gave your justification, but I believe that what you're doing is that you are judging a first Bond film based on something that became a staple of the Bond franchise years later. And so it's an unfair judgment because it didn't have those formal requirements that we come to expect from a Bond film at the time that Dr. No was made. So I feel like you're retroactively being harsh on it. I- that would be my – 
I feel like it's not necessarily a bad argument you're making, but at the same time, as I said, there were much more interesting title sequences around at the time, so it's not like I'm just judging... If I'm judging it against other opening title sequences that existed at the time, it's not that interesting. And I'm also going to say that, fuck, bro, I started out this episode eight points behind, man, so, like, I'm going to need a better (laughs) fucking argument than that if I'm going to give up some extra points. Fair point. Okay, what about you? Okay, I'm going to go with Henchman because, you know what, I think uh, Frau, what's-her-name, is a pretty fucking cool henchman. And, you know, there's not a lot of lady henchmen. And, you know, and she's, I think, you know, she fucking, in the end, she's the one who fucking guns down Diana Rigg. She yeah. is, like, the impetus for so much pain and heartache and frustration and fucking, like, she she fucking galvanizes Bond for, like, the rest of the film series. So that's, yeah, and that's, you know what? And she's kind of more than just a henchman, too, because mm-hmm. she really is there more than Telly Savalas is there, even though he's obviously the mastermind and he's the villain. She's actually more integral to the development of the plot. That, to be completely honest, I actually completely forgot about her, and this is just my sexism showing. I just didn't think of her as a henchman. I'm, I'm going to so, throw it out there, too. I, I think she's clearly a bit jealous of Bond because she wants to be going in there and just, like, taking out those ladies one by one like Bond is doing. You know? What are you implying? I'm, I'm <laughs> implying that there may have been some 60s ideas of what oh. a lesbian would be like and not in, like, the fun... Like, 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 Pussy Galore is, like, the saucy lesbian stereotype and then this is the other lesbian stereotype. So Bond is <laughs> yeah. operating in some... Some stereotypical waters, shall we say. And of course, of course, Bond has always been known for being very sensitive and cutting edge in terms of its depictions of various very minority of the groups. Time. Very of the time. Very Let's say that. Um, yeah, no, I honestly, you really don't even need to argue. I'm saying I she wears comfortable shoes is what I'm saying. Yes, she probably does. Um, Birkenstocks. Um, but yeah, I, I'll get, I'll, I'll bump it up from a seven to a nine just cause Ooh. I literally completely forgot. And she really is, she really is like a glue that holds much of the, uh, the villainous plot together. Okay. So, uh, time to tally the final scores. Uh, so Austin for Dr. No, you got a score of 75, which was better, which was not as good as your license to kill score, which I think was like an 84. Um, but uh, better than your for your eyes only score, which was a seventy three. So hmm. all t- you started with one hundred and fifty eight points, and so adding seventy five onto that, you have a total final score of two hundred and thirty three. All right, all right. So uh, your total score. And I'm going to do this the backwards way here, like they do in the Miss America pageant. You know where they say like the first runner up is. You fucking second- know something, don't you? <laughs> Your total score is 227. Oh. You got a 77, which still beat the Dr. No, but it wasn't enough to make up for the eight-point gap that you came into the episode with, which means oh. Adam Sandler and you have a six-hour date. How, how did I lose a fucking... <laughs> lose a bond showdown here this is this is the best way to put it here how did you lose a bond showdown to a guy whose favorite bond is roger moore okay bradley would be so disappointed here's the thing okay here's the thing like think about this right i won two of the rounds like i like i got a better score in round one and round two but quantum of solace fucked me yeah quantum of solace was Uh, bad that was a i bet i have a feeling you could have picked any other craig film and you would have 
either one or it would have been even a little closer because you ended up only losing by six points. So I let my ego I get in the you, way, man. Yeah, I bet if you chose Spectre or Skyfall, I, I I I let my I let my ego fucking get in the way, man. I was like, I'm gonna fucking show you that Quan Masalis is actually you know, okay. Like it gets a bum rap. And then, uh, man, I, I also, I should have just picked Connery. I really should have, uh, Craig is my first round pick and then wasting it on quantum of solace. That was a terrible move. I'm the Cleveland Browns <laughs> of bond fans right now. If Ugh. you would have chosen Sean Connery, what film would you have chosen? Uh, you know, uh, having, it would have been from Russia with love. I, I love a bit of from Russia with love. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 The Road from Russia with Love wouldn't necessarily be the best in the Bond style, you know, the the our Bond scoring as we have it. But know? it would have done better than Quantum of Solace. Yeah, it would have done better. I think anything would have fucking done better than Quantum of Solace. But you know I, what? We talked about this when we scored Quantum of Solace. It's not a terrible movie, but it does not hit the points of this scoring system. And this was this was the I, I basically created this score system because you are far too fucking charitable when it comes to movies. So I created the score system so we'd have some sort of way of evening it out. So we'd have like actual right. like things to score. So and it fucked me. I've my so own rules. So technically, you me. fucked yourself. Just I fucked board. myself you really fucked on this with the scoring system. You fucked yourself with your pride choosing Quantum of Solace. You fucked yourself with your first choice choosing Daniel Craig. Uh, it, it's, I, I feel like I feel like you deserve this punishment. I probably do, man. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh my god! I think like because you know I was like fucking like the first round I just walked away with the, the first the first versus series I just walked away with. So you know what? I'm gonna fucking just walk away. It's Bond, man. How can I fucking lose Bond? So I thought this was me just like completely just like I was gonna sail through this and. Uh, All right, I, so let's remind people the punishment is that you have to watch three Adam Sandler films and then you have to upload a video singing my praises about how I am the grand poobah of Bond, uh, uh, which is going to probably sting the worst. But uh, let me ask you, what films are you considering for uh, Adam Sandler? What What are the rules? What are the requirements? Uh, the rules are they have to be a Happy Madison production. They can't be something that um, he did with like an indie director or something like that. So you can't go off and do like Men, Women, and Children or, so, or like The Cobbler or something like that has to be something that his actual production company made it also has to be 2010 and beyond so you can't like go back and like watch like something like funny people or you don't mess with the zohan or even say something like billy madison because you know fuck it i i will watch billy madison right now because i fucking love billy madison yeah so was happy happy gilmore happy gilmore again like i mean i mean that's water boy yeah, Waterboy. Again, I fucking love me some yeah. Waterboy. Yeah, I you can't watch do those. Wa- I watch the shit out of the Waterboy. But like but yeah, so it has to be so I'm thinking I don't know. I might go with Blended because it's him and Drew Barrymore and they're quite charming in Fifty First Dates and the Wedding Singer, so maybe that'll be watchable. Uh Ridiculous Six, maybe, because I like Westerns and it's a Western. I might 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 do that's my boy because it's Andy Samberg. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm I'm not doing grown ups. I'm just like flattening out. I'm I'm steering clear of grown ups. Listen, uh, any any feature film that has David Spade in it automatically, except for Black Sheep and uh, Tommy Boy, I'm kind of like. You you you're telling me you don't love a bit of Joe Dirt? Is that is that what you're saying? No, dude, I am not a Joe Dirt fan at all. I find it weird that that movie's got like a cult following. Like, yeah, I'm, it does I'm, not do it for yeah. me. <laughs> All right, so 
next week, uh, we're back to normal. Uh, I'm going to be licking my wounds. Uh, we'll be, um, when I, when I, uh, when I, in, we'll be do, in a couple of weeks, we'll do my punishment episode where we will announce, uh, where we set up the next Versus series. Um, but I can tell you now, it's, we are calling it World War Cinema, where mm-hmm. we, uh, we each get draft countries and then have to fight out with uh, films picked from those countries. Um, so uh, we will let you in on the rules and how it's going to work once I um, once uh, I've went on when I do my punishment episode. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, we have a new film to watch for next week. Uh, and I, you know, Austin, I decided, you know, with all of this Bond stuff with Gladiator, I feel like we've been been very testosterone. Late, you know, oriented lately. You know, we watched we watched we watched a movie about dudes on submarines. I mean, even like there's a kind of dude broish element to Zombieland. You know, I kind it's of a figured, buddy you, comedy. I, yeah. I figured, you know, it's it's time for us to get our estrogen on. Like we need uh-huh. to we need to like get in touch with our inner uteruses. Like no, like our uteri. Yeah, the the women that are inside us. You know, in in in, yes. in a metaphorical sense, not a literal. Well, sense. both of us were very very uh, influenced by women in our lives yes. we're very much raised by mothers yes um, so so I'm, I'm down with that so okay so i i, I got the feeling i just want to i want to talk about something that's got some some that's that's heavily featured about ladies issues so i have decided we are going to talk a about the uh i mean i think it's fairly recent about like four or five years ago uh the movie directed by jason reitman written by Dio, diablo cody not the one you think and starring Charlize theron Young adult. Yeah, I would have thought you would have said Juno there. But, I don't like Juno uh, that much. That's so surprising to me. You actually prefer Young Adults. I like think you Young Adult is, is a much better film than Juno. Interesting. Yeah, 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 so I've not seen Young Adult, but I've heard you rave about it forever. I feel like you you maybe even gave me a DVD of it or something like that. I don't know. For some reason, I, I have I have it. it. It's just in my mind that you love this movie, so I'm looking forward to. I've, I've sung to its praises for a long time because I feel like not enough people have seen it. I think it's Jason Reitman's best film. I think it's, but I actually think the interesting thing is that I think it's one of those films that could only have been written by a woman. Like I don't think a mm-hmm. man would have the same level of insight into kind of female dynamics in the female brain. And I think it's a Mm. film that's as much about a sociopath as say something like taxi driver is only it's about like suburban female sociopath who everything is about kind of undermining and uh, trying to do things behind people's backs rather than someone who's going to be physically violent and going. It's a, it's, it's a dark as fuck movie, which is funny as hell as well. And it's actually, it's, I think it's only 90 minutes. It's quite short. I think, I, I think Charlize Theron is deserving of a fucking Oscar nomination for it. Cause I, I fucking love her in this film. And I think there's so many interesting elements to discuss in terms of women and female dynamics. So what could be better than two straight white men talking about it? So yeah, yeah exactly. Let's, <laughs> so let's do it. Let's talk about young fucking adult. Okay. Okay, so um, in the meantime, uh, I am premiering the first two episodes of my web series, Let's Do It, tomorrow. By the time you're listening to this, it will already be up, so please check out Let's Do It on YouTube. Uh, First two episodes are Let's Do Cocaine and Let's Drink Urine. Um, Fun, 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 weird, crazy comedy. 
Um, and uh, I also, my website has just been changed to kierseewert.com, formerly breakingpointflix.com. Nice, yeah, it's got a new photo gallery up for you to check out my work. Um, so, and uh, just put up a new music video on there. Uh, uh, one called Cold Night that I did for a band called Writer. So, yeah, check it out. Sweet. And then for me, you can obviously hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N. You can check out a film that I am in the middle of producing called Inventing the Future, based on the best-selling book, Inventing the Future, Post-Capitalism and a World Without Work. And the uh, website for that is InventFutureDoc, or you can hit us up on Twitter at InventFutureDoc. And that is pretty much it. It. Oh, I just found out that a horror film that I did with Andy Stewart is going to be coming out kind of soon, too. It's called Mannequins. It's like a weird meta-horror. Did I ever tell you about that one, Kier? Yeah, yeah, you've mentioned it before. Yeah, we'll see. It'll yeah. be interesting. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I haven't seen anything of it, and all I did was, like, ADR voiceover a- Andy stuff, Stewart, so. former guest of the podcast, of course. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That is right. And here, here, here. So I'll, and I'll course, let you guys know when that one comes out. And, of course, you can go to idigthismovie.com. Feel free to talk about Bond with us, and... You know, but don't fucking mention the fact that I've just humiliated myself uh, on <laughs> a stage. I mean, it's like it's like Austin. It's like someone fucking beating you at a competition over philosophy. This no, this this would literally be that if you and I had a discussion about mixed martial arts, yeah, and about like the history of the UFC and ranked fighters and stuff like that, and somehow you came on top of me. Yeah. Because it's something that I have been balls deep in for years, and you have only gotten like recently interested in the last couple of years. So that's how it would be. Because, yeah, yeah, that that should be my that should be my game. I'm 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 crying on the inside right now. <laughs> Just like you can't see it, but I'm gonna go away. I'm gonna take. It's gonna be like, it's gonna be like uh, Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura when he finds out he made out with a dude, and he's like, <laughs> I'm gonna be like in a shower, naked, crying. It's gonna be. I'm going to have some intense feels going on. Are you going to be massaging your little bond? I, I haven't fucking recovered. I will not fucking recover for a while. It's, <laughs> this this hurts, man. Like, so so you better believe when, when World War Cinema happens, I'm... It's on? I'm bringing the pain on that one. Oh, sounds good to me. Sounds good All to right. me. All right, everybody. We love you. Peace Join out. Join us next week for Young Adult. Peace.